0: You're listening to the 420 Metalhead
1: Wrestling Podcast
0: with your hosts,
1: Mike and
2: Sockin. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the uh, 420 Metalhead Podcast. I believe this is episode four. Uh, I'm your host, Mike. I just want to welcome our new new co-host, Leon, to the show. Uh, Leon, if you want to tell... uh, people a little bit about yourself before we uh, we get rolling and smoking and playing some good fucking tunes and talking some wrestling. Hey
3: guys, I'm not going to inundate you with like 40 nicknames or inch some big, long, stupid intro. Definitely a metal guy, big wrestling guy. But in addition to all that other fun stuff, uh, I've been working in the legal cannabis industry out here in Denver, Colorado for the last five years. So happy to be part of the den or the uh, Deathmatch cult family. And uh, thanks for bringing me on Mike.
2: Oh, absolutely. Man, we, we uh, we we're doing all kinds of broadcasts, and I appreciate what you're gonna bring to the show, and I think it's just gonna make it even better. Cause this is a this is like a love project for me, cause uh, putting metal and wrestling. This was me one night smoking a joint, just thinking, fuck, I'm gonna do something new. And uh, to bring you in, and I know we have got some people coming in, some guests. You know, Slack has agreed. We just gotta hunt him down, and we're working on some other folks. Uh, We're from both the wrestling side and the music side. So this is, uh, you know, something I like. It's cool on a Saturday night. Uh, Where I live in upstate New York for 30 years, there's this uh, Sound and Fury that plays every Saturday night. Uh, It starts at midnight and it goes to 6 a.m., and uh, shout out to Gerbil, if anybody in upstate New York is listening and knows Gerbil. Gerbil's been doing that shit for 30 years, and it's kind of cool to do something like this. You know, Gerbil talks and fucking plays music. I used to go to some concerts with him back in the day, so uh, it's kind of cool to do something like this. I, I remember when Headbangers Ball was cool back in the day, and it was good, uh, you know. And then Fuse for a while had that show with that Julia Chick that had, uh, had played some cool and heavy metal. And then uh, I always go back to Sound and Fury, you know, shows like that, that, uh, you know, Saturday night we'd always be, his uh, kids, be fucking drinking some booze and smoking some weed and having some fucking sex and listening to Sound and Fury.
3: Man, you guys are spoiled because I, you know, I'm going to be, I'm actually 34 now, and I, I feel like I just missed cool radio. Like, by the time I started tuning into radio, it was already kind of watered down, sort of payola bullshit. You guys, you guys still had some vestiges of like decent radio programming. Uh, now I'm assuming this is probably like on some sort of community or it's like some sort of public channel. Uh, it was a, it
2: was on a K Rock, okay. pretty big station around here. All right. It was on K Rock. They they cover, uh, yeah, I would say they cover third of New York State.
3: Okay, uh,
2: and it's been on fuck for at least thirty years, maybe more. So I haven't not- listened to him in a while, but uh, it was at least thirty years. Was every, he's probably on tonight at midnight. I have to look up while I'm talking to you. I'll look up a site, but uh, yeah, he do five hours of just all this uh, crazy different metal. And there's a guy where he introduced me to a lot of shit too, because um, you're talking. You know, I started listening to Gerbil probably in the late '80s. So, yeah, I don't.
3: Ha- I don't have a journal. A gerbil. I almost called it a journal. Uh, for me, it's more like I guess the closest thing I might have growing up was like you know maybe obviously like your Ricky Rackman's and then. Uh, uh, even you know a little bit further like 120 minutes you know your matt pinfields which I recently found out I didn't even know but he's a, he's an Asbury Park guy Atlantic City guy. Yeah yeah he was on the uh, radio there didn't know shouts to Matt Pinfield I don't think he's listening. Maybe he's a huge deathmat 420 guy. Who knows? Kinda looks like Supreme so
2: he does a little bit. Yeah fucking Sound and furious still on that's amazing you know I'm just looking at his set list for tonight. You know he he's playing shit for like a Dark Sky Choir Motley Crue, of The Bronx, Black Mirrors, Boy Hits Car, KMFDM. He's very uh, O-Tip, uh, Cannibal Corpse, Unita, Buckethead, Stone still Jesus. A... What's I, that?
3: Guess he, I guess he still kind of likes that new metal stuff, too, huh?
2: He's into a little everything, though. Everglade, Flotsam and Jetsam. Um, he'll go real death, and he'll go old school, and he'll go a little bit new. In Flames, uh, Monster Magnet. He goes into a little bit of everything. You know, sometimes he'll even more. He, he always ends with Ray Charles, too, which is funny. And, uh, yeah, he, he, this is definitely, I see a new episode, but he plays soil works on here, candle mass. He's definitely all over, which is cool okay. to see. He's going. I was trying to see if it showed how long, but yes, yeah, midnight to 6am. If everybody K rock, if not, you can go on K rock on demand and get it too. But if you haven't never experienced the sound and fear, I recommend it. Gerbil's been doing this shit since like the 1980s, all kinds of crazy music, you know, Karen crisis. I'm looking at it. Tristiana. He's all over. A lot of doom, a lot of uh, a lot of death. It's nice to put experimental. A,
3: it's, it's nice to be able to put over a gerbil for once that's not involved in some sort of weird kinky sex act as, as well.
2: <laughs> well, I didn't say that he might be involved <laughs> in some kinky weird sex acts. That How wild, but, but uh...
3: <laughs> we'll give him the benefit oh, of the doubt then that he's not involved in any sort of ger- gerbil harm then because we, no. we don't want to get we don't want to get PETA involved yet. That's uh, still too early. It's still too early in the podcast. Right, right. We don't. I have plenty of
2: enemies as it is, like Kevin Brennan and people like that. <laughs> so I don't want to bring out any more. I've already. Uh, I'm sure Kevin Brennan and the evil coalition to deny the Holocaust will be seeking me out soon. Yeah, well, with their well, white robes I'll, and long horses. We
3: don't want to piss off the storm front. <laughs> right, the storm front. <laughs> <covers. laughs> so. Uh, so what else is going on man what we got what we got what we plug in who we put uh,
2: what am i plugging well first off i want to shout out to captain dave do you know captain dave
3: i know but you're gonna
2: tell me about him yeah. captain dave is the fellow who he does a lot of he has his own podcasting thing he puts on he goes to all the czw shows anything in jersey and philly he goes to he podcasts and he promotes most him he's a really nice guy uh real good good hard guy um uh if you know kevin hogan uh, do you ever know kevin hogan for sure. What's this? What's this podcast called? Captain Dave's uh, podcast network. Okay. Uh, Dave Spieler. But I would put him in. You know, Kevin Hogan, great guy. Goes to all the shows. And he went to this indie show this weekend, Crossroads Wrestling, some bullshit. And they were having a you know a charity card, and Dave went and was going to set up his podcast. You know, and he does this because he loves wrestling. You know, he's a forty-year-old guy like me, loves wrestling. And they started to call him a retard. And they started to make fun of him and his wife. I They're heard of, okay, story.
3: I heard about this story. Yeah, keep yeah. going though.
2: Dave is like the nicest guy at the wrist. So I just, you know, I know that the crossroads, the constant crossroads, that's what I said. Put out this little exclaimer because, oh, we're sorry we me, mean to offend Dave. You just did that because people like Matt Tremont and Marcus Crane and fucking myself and Brandon Kirk and Stephen A called you out. So I say fuck you. I say, you know, it's a shame. You guys are running fucking charities and you're treating you're running a charity for disabled people and you're treating Dave like that. Dave is always polite. He's always reaching out to me, asking me how I'm doing. He loves all kinds of wrestling. He goes to these shows out of his own will, free. Sets up his podcast. He's super excited. He tries to put. I've never heard him say a bad thing about any show he's ever went to. God bless him, because I do. I I, <laughs> I do say some bad things sometimes because I don't like some shows. But Dave just loves going there. Everyone sees him. They like to get a picture with him. He's a nice guy. So you know, I wanted to say a big fuck you to Crossroads Wrestling. Um, that's bullshit. I hope you never run another show again. I hope no one goes to your shows. And I feel bad to say that about a promotion that's doing charity stuff, but to treat him and then to facilitate it. And it wasn't necessarily to promote her, but his brother, but to facilitate it and not step in. Shame on all of you. And uh, they wouldn't let his girlfriend go use the bathroom. They're making fun of her, too. Just a lot of bullshit.
3: Yeah. Uh, able- ableism is just uh, all types of fucked up. And if that's something that you feel the need to engage in, if you think it's funny, uh, then... A, don't listen to this podcast, and don't listen to any of the podcasts on the Deathmatch Cult Network, because we don't want to fuck with you. We don't appreciate you. That's fucked up. Ableism is just its a, just another ism. Fuck that shit.
2: Absolutely. So, you know, shout out to Dave. Maybe someday I'll get Dave on as a guest. A uh, uh, good friend of the Deathmatch Cult, good friend of the Metal Cult Network, a uh, good friend of indie wrestling in general. Uh, You know, when all the promoters up there are reaching out and saying, Dave, that's bullshit, you know, that says something. So that's just one thing I want to talk about this week. It's just a lot of garbage.
3: No good, man. Um, well, yeah, I don't have too much in the way of plugs, but I did want to plug a, uh, a fellow member of the cult, Mr. Chris Collenberg. Chris has a cool band called Morecast, and uh, they put out an album not that long ago called Deadlands, and you can definitely check it out. They're on Bandcamp. Chris is also a good buddy, a uh, fun guy. Uh, I've had, had the uh, pleasure of hanging out with him at a couple of the GCW shows in Chicago. And uh, yeah, shout to him. Massive. Big up, Chris Keep keep making cool music, man. Going to the next Chicago show, are you? Oh, I that's generally the plan. Um, you know, it's an easy thing for me to do. Obviously, you know, we don't get a ton of uh, GCW shows here in Denver. But the cool thing about planes and all that now is that they're basically like, you know, you have these like lower tier airlines like Frontier and Spirit and even like United to a degree. They're basically like fighting for your business. And for, you know, Denver and Chicago are both like relatively major hubs. So, yeah, man, like I tell these kids that I see at the shows that drive from places and they end up spending so much more money and they're driving from like Wisconsin and Minnesota, Ohio. And I'm like, oh, cool. I had a $110 round trip. And then I end up. I end up sleeping on my friend's couch in, uh, Logan square. And yeah, it's just, you know, I'm a, I I hate to be that King of convenience, but I'm not getting any younger. And, uh, I've I've slept in a lot of cars and on a lot of floors. So, but yeah, I definitely try to make all the GCW spots when they hit Chicago. And hopefully I can try to make it out to some of the LA shows. Seems like, uh, there's enough guys that like smoking weed that maybe Denver could happen one day. But at the same time, I don't want to uh, kid myself. This isn't really like a, uh, an apex of, of indie wrestling right now you
2: never know they went to milwaukee
3: i mean never the home know. the home of vader and two cold scorpio
2: absolutely yeah the, yeah the la show coming up too is going to be a death matches on the show they just announced raver and drew parker which is going to be sick
3: now do you think that that's like the intention there is is because atlantic city is maybe not going to be super death match heavy or super Well, I,
2: uh, I think they wanted to do more death the first time but the uh, the one club at the last minute canceled them out. and and Because Los Angeles really doesn't have a lot of rules as opposed to like Philadelphia or certain New York uh, because, you know, XPW was there and then you still have uh, UEW and Blood Brothers Plow running deathmatch shows there. So yeah, I think it's a market where they can do death. I think they kind of wanted to fill it out with the bigger spring break type show. Now they kind of want to incorporate their death stuff too. I think they want to be heavy in three markets, you know, I think they want to go to Los Angeles, Chicago, and like the Northeast. You know, kind of get heavy in those markets and offer the fans different. Because you know, GCW is essentially two companies when you think about it. You got your like Janela brand, and then you have like your Deathmatch shows. They're, they're kind of like two companies, which is cool.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's like the combination of I. I think ultimately, you know, if they can combine that formula, as long as they you know, as long as it can work. You know, obviously, like the the Dream Match sort of format that Janela's pushing. Which is obviously going to get you the wider spectrum of attention, and then you know, obviously the stuff that us sick fucks are into. But at the same time, there's something about GCW's presentation when they do decide to throw deathmatch shows that just it just this it's like this extra sheen or whatever that it's uh, yeah, the it's wrestlers
2: are, exactly the wrestlers are so behind the product too. You can tell their performance there is stronger than anywhere because they believe in it. It's kind of like the ECW guys; they all want to outdo each other. It's hard to have a main event of a GCW Deathmatch show like Gage and Eric Ryan. Great match, but it's hard because by the time you got to that, you had the amazing Oren Vetta G Raver match. Right? Right. You know, you had Marcus Crane and Nate Webb.
3: Right. You know, you had. You had uh, well, you had uh, Tremont and. Tremont um, and
2: Reed, and forgetting Reed, one yeah. other big one. Who was the other big one? Oh my God, Colon and Masoka. Yeah. Colon and Masoka. So it's so hard to follow that because it's like the old Howell shows, man. You're gonna get five crazy death matches in a row, and a lot of people say, "Well, that's too much." not for me i love those shows you can give me a whole deathmatch show i'm fine with it
3: yeah i mean and and, and gcw won't even gcw smart enough to know that hey you know we still need to throw in a couple little palate cleansers here and there with you know the various sure. like six mans and eight mans and whatever else that they'll throw in and then matches to show off some of their you know generally speaking they'll they'll take time maybe to introduce a new guy uh like in the in the instance of uh I believe it was the Eight Man or the or whatever it was where they introduced Shane Mercer, yep. um who, <laughs> we'll talk about that in a little bit later. But Shane Mercer, uh, Shane Mercer might be the uh, the it boy in our uh, in our favorite style of wrestling this year if he just chooses to do uh, pursue I
2: think it. so. <laughs> I think so. He was amazing in that No Barbed Wire match he had in Mid South a few years ago with Hosea. You know if people haven't seen that. They should really check it out. I was hoping, like when uh, Slack got hurt, I was hoping they would put Mercer in with Murdoch and they could have had a crazy death match.
3: You know, obviously, he's 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 maybe he's maybe not six foot six or whatever, but, you know, I was front row the last show and I, I myself am not a small dude. And Sh- Shane Mercer's a big fucking guy, man. He really is. So, and, and when you're that big, when you're that yoked, I mean, it, it definitely, you know, we, we, we don't want to forget this is still professional wrestling. And you cannot, you can never really sort of under underestimate, undervalue guys with an impressive physique like that, that are very athletic like he is. So if he's able to, if he wants to, I mean that that genre of wrestling is his oyster. Pretty impressive, just in general. The rosters of guys in competing in death matches right now is is so fucking high.
2: And deathmatch wrestling has changed so much in ten years, thanks to guys like Drake Younger and Danny Havoc. And now it's more about the wrestling than the death. You watch like Sequel playing Eric Ryan or Ravers, you almost feel like it's a Big Japan. Match and then you remember then they use some light tubes or some plunder. And GCW doesn't necessarily go crazy with the plunder, they don't need to had the right amount some promotions I feel like they don't have enough uh, some promotions kind of looks like a dollar store uh death match. Uh, <laughs> yeah. so no offense to some but uh some do but they have the right amount but the wrestlers can tell a story and you know they can go in and, and do these amazing moves and suplexes and 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 go at the speed like Eric Ryan has like that killer speed that he goes at just fucking eight hundred thousand miles per hour and uh, it's changed so much you know it's it's about deathmatch wrestling they actually wrestle you know not two guys in Alabama but a box cutter (laughs) fucking stabbing each other in the arm and fucking blowing each other in the back of the fucking stage while the motor watches. Shout out, Kevin. But, But, uh...
3: Are you sure? Because you know those that kiddie pool full of leeches really, uh, really has that sick buff potential written all over it, right? Yeah, we have gr- grandfather Ian. Got to roll I, him in there too. Have you? I'm I'm assuming you've you've heard the uh, the horribly sad news then that it does not appear that there will be a carnage cup this year. Yes, I uh, I had to smoke a little extra weed that day. I
2: took a few extra painkillers because it was hard to get out of bed. I, uh, I had plans on going to the taco stand and sleeping out in the woods with the wolves and the clan and, and enjoying the uh, the fucking show this year. And I was sadly to say that there won't. I heard the main event was going to be 200 alligators on a pole with loaded shotguns and lightning rods and a thunderstorm. So I'm very sad to say that that match will not be, be happening.
3: Yeah, I forgot the official reason. I think Kevin Brennan actually just has like a clan meeting that conflicts with the uh, event. So. Doesn't well, they're, right.
2: they're, they're too busy. Um, that's the, uh, that's national deny of the Holocaust day. <laughs> so Kevin is actually writing up a paper as if you check on, and I'm not making this up. If you check online, he's a advocate for denying the Holocaust because I'm, I'm certainly, uh, certainly it was all created, Kevin. It was all faked. Absolutely you
3: fucking idiot. Yeah, well, you know that George Soros—he's a—he's a busy guy. So obviously, there's another huge headline, or I guess now there's just constant headlines every week that sort of revolve around uh, AEW. Kind of dive into that. Where are you at with this? How do you feel about all this? I'm um, I'm I'm optimistic. I'm um, I'm very optimistic about it. I
2: think there's still a there's still a couple of big signees away from competing with WWE, but they're on the right road. I think if you see John Moxley jump or a guy like Randy Orton. Then WWE is going to be really worried. Right now they've got like the best of the Indies, they got Jericho. But the thing that makes them dangerous is they have a lot of money. Absolutely. And the father and son are
3: willing to use it. They have more money
2: than command by by four times.
3: It's not and- just money. I think mo- money is one thing, but it's uncanny how I-, I don't think people people that I should say that aren't really oh yeah, AEW. I don't think people fully understand how popular the young bucks and being in the elite and YouTube is. And I For mean. For sure. You know, recent interviews I've even heard with like, you know, the young bucks, it's like people go up to them and are like, I don't even like wrestling. I don't watch it. I like being the elite, the elite. I watch it. I'm a big YouTube fan. And, you know, it's like you have that you have the hot topic thing, how they were selling their shirts, the hot topic. Oh, yeah. and, I mean, the bucks and if you combine the bucks with like the entire being the elite sort of brand, they almost in their own right, I feel like are the second largest entity in just not even having their own sort of, without even AEW being a thing, I feel like the Bucks, you know, and the being the elite brand. Are essentially the second largest, uh, second most popular entity in wrestling outside of the WWE. I would agree. And and you know what? They have they have Jericho on
2: board. Uh, Jim Ken- Ross is backing them.
3: Kenny, uh, Omega. Kenny
2: Omega. They have so many connections in the promotions. Uh, you know, Cody was in WWE for years. Good They're, friends with
3: a lot of these guys. Their tag team division looks awesome so far. Yeah,
2: they just got Penna and Ray Phoenix, which is a big, big sign. I mean, WWE was trying to get them obviously yeah. got the young bucks SoCal uncensored uh, they're bringing a lot of best friends they signed they're bringing a lot of different women for the promotion they signed Aja Kong apparently you know? the,
3: apparently the Usos contracts up after uh after Wrestlemania also yeah yeah USOs kind of, they, they're bringing
2: Pac in which I think Pac is going to be a monster heel I mean he was on the right road in WWE
3: it's interesting though because what I've read so far about Pac's involvement is that Dragon Gate is still his number one promotion right it's it's just AEW is kind of like his side thing so so I am curious to see, I feel like early on there will be this very sort of liberal approach to uh, how, you know, how they allow people to sort of show themselves. But I think once they have like regular TV and regular pay-per-views or or whatever, you know, their own streaming network, whatever they sort with that, because obviously that's sort of the status quo now, whether they decide to use an existing streaming network or come up with their own, they definitely have the resources and infrastructure and following to just fucking come up with their own streaming service if they wanted to. I would assume that at some point if they are large enough and it actually becomes a proper competition that you could expect to see some sort of exclusivity. I mean, we definitely won't see the Bucks on a ton of other TV. They've already kind of been sort of trying to get as many indie gigs out of the way now as possible for the AEW thing. So it'll be interesting to see whether or not they kind of hold to, because obviously with the signing of Janela, all of us GCW you guys are like, uh, and right. you know, we, we've been reassured. No, he still gets the book for them. He still gets to right. do his GCW they just, shows. They just signed Jimmy Havoc too. You know, he's also he's also maybe not, you know, my favorite wrestler. Right. But I, I did think I think the guy has something to bring to the table. I think people sure. like people definitely like Jimmy Havoc a lot. And I think obviously they wouldn't bring him in if they just wanted him to occasionally fall through a table. I think right. Jim, Jimmy Havoc's kind of the signing of Jimmy Havoc to me indicates that they're willing to potentially, uh, you know, indulge that fan base that maybe wants to see some color, wants to see, you know, maybe the occasional tube or, you know, a a match like you saw um, at Progress between him and, uh, was it Robinson? Paul Robinson, Robinson? yeah. Maybe something like that.
2: Right. What's interesting, too, is they announced the AAA deal. Uh, The promo video they showed showed fire and light tubes and thumbtacks. So it's interesting that they showed that. Another thing that I thought was really funny was the press conference they had—they sold tickets for that and they sold out. People lap- bought tickets for the press conference, just for a press conference.
3: Yeah, downloaded the streams and and everything. It, it's
2: it can only make the WWE better because the WWE was at its best when WCW was beating it. That forced them to be creative. It's definitely true. And you you're gonna
3: mean- see, you're gonna see obviously more places to work means more guys getting shots, and you know guys like Jungle Boy, you know people that are really just young up and coming talents, they're, they now have op- two different options to get really large scale exposure and it, it doesn't seem like uh TNA's product is getting any worse either. It seems like they're trying to improve their product and uh, you know continue yeah. continue giving people more options. So yeah. I, I've yeah. said this I, I've said this I said this even before AEW was a thing, but if you're a wrestling fan now it, it's I mean obviously, you know, the Attitude era was great and the eighties were great, rockin' rock and wrestling seventies and Territories and all that stuff is every every era is great in its own right, but just your access, your unfettered access to content right now is absolutely insane, and it's there's so much it's being pushed out from every possible angle and every corner of the world. Yeah, absolutely. Just the
2: fingertip away.
3: Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, and A, again, AEW even shows that with the partnering with the Chinese promotion,
2: yeah, so. OEW Yeah, I I might have never left my house. If there was internet when I was a kid and you had all these different wrestling choices.
3: Yeah. I, I uh, all <laughs> At those least girls. Until I was
2: about 15 or 16 when they discovered the power of the pussy. But, yeah,
3: I was, uh, I was going to say all those girls would have been missing out, Mike. Right,
2: right. Well, you know, <laughs> I, they still want to stop me. You know, I have my priorities.
3: <laughs> so let's get into some music, man. Uh, let's listen to some testaments. Definitely.
2: From the dark right. roots of earth, uh, Throne of Thorns. Uh, this was testaments, I think. Oh, 2009 album that I thought really brought them back to fucking back to the forefront of the thrash scene. I really love this album. Really good lineup on it. Uh, they really uh, came back strong. I think Testament is uh, very underrated. They're, they're one of the bands that have gotten heavier as they went, which I find to be really cool. Um, you know, some bands kind of uh, get loaded <laughs> or go load, and then some bands just uh, become even heavier. And Testament, you know, putting out stuff like that and demonic later on. Really, just showed uh, you know how heavy they are, and they've uh, always put out pretty consistent albums, especially in the uh, the latter half. Usually, I don't say I like I like you normally like the band's original albums the best, but I have to go with testament. Uh, I like their uh, the latter albums better. You know, the Formation of Damnation, the Gathering, Demonic, uh, Dark Roots of Earth, which actually came out in 2012. So you have to, excuse me. And this is the extended track, um, which has uh, Chris Adler from Lamb of God playing drums on it
3: let's get into it then here's testament with throne of thorns
0: Have said My throne of thorns is where I shall rule Keeper of all, bring her death To challenge me go Off with your head Crimson <laughs> lust Warlords of torment that you attack me
3: Rockin'.
2: Now, what's your uh, what's your pick? What did you throw in here to play uh, as we both have uh, split up and p- picked uh, six different tunes?
3: Well, I'm a lifelong Crowbar fan. Yeah, so I decided to go with Crowbar uh, this week as my first pick. I'm a huge fan of Kirk Weinstein. The only project that I, of his that I didn't really get into was the project they did with Jimmy Jasta from Hatebreed. But I love Crowbar. I love the down records that he played on. So yeah. I, I went with uh, The Lasting Dose. Off of Sonic Access in its purest form. Had the pleasure of seeing Crowbar about four or five times, both in headlining and uh, support roles. And they never disappoint. Really good live and just generally good dudes. So I've heard from some friends that live in the Louisiana area. So fucking hey, Crowbar. The last thing does. Let's do it.
2: All right we are back after uh blowing the bars or fucking barn doors off a little bit of crowbar we're gonna have a uh a weekly segment and next week we're gonna open this up to actually uh, folks on uh facebook and our different uh, ethnicities too you can actually uh, get a hold of us and we'll uh we'll put some of your lists up there we're gonna do top five lists um, we're gonna do one top five music list, and then we're gonna do one top five wrestling list every uh every week we're going to mix it up and do something a little bit different so the first list we're going to do is top five thrash albums and i'm going to let uh, let my friend leon go first
3: okay, yeah so this is actually this is a fun list to put together um it's interesting too how many uh how many albums came out between like 1983 and 1984 that being said number five for me is going to be seven churches by possessed san, san, francisco, san francisco band one of the other cool things about possessed is it's actually one of the first times the world ever found out about larry lalonde who uh went on to play guitar for primus so you know
2: what's funny is i was so close on that but i, I guess i kind of cropped them into the proto death in the beginning you know and that's
3: when, it's kind of a controversial pick because of that is because a lot of people are sort of on the fence um but i would say that i think their subject matter might sort of have people on the fence about them as being a thrash band, but I still think they're very much part of that Bay Area thrash movement. Sure, And, uh, band. and yeah, and you know, it's an album that came out in 1985, which is sort of bookended by uh, you know, uh, "Kill 'Em All" and "Master of Puppets." So yeah, sort of very kind of underrated band potentially in that in that genre, but you know, definitely a, definitely a cool band. I de- would definitely call Possessed uh, a very influential band for some of the uh, earlier black metal bands as well uh both Absolutely. in their both in their style stylistically and their aesthetic and their subject content or I would
2: the con- say, go ahead i'm sorry
3: yeah just content in general they kind of were into like occult stuff and whatever else
2: i would say with some of the death metal bands too they definitely uh you know would, would be into that ballpark i mean obviously they didn't put out a lot of stuff but you know beyond the gates and seven churches you know back to back for sure definitely uh,
3: and the number four for me was uh, I went with you know this is a band that has made metal that has literally sort of spanned like every genre possible, but huge thrash, thrash was a huge influence for them, and uh, I think that Sepultura's 1989 album Beneath the Remains is in in many ways a very it is a, it's, a, it's, a, it's essentially a love letter to thrash, and it's been what 25 years or whatever, and it's it's yeah. still it's, it's still still an awesome album so.
2: It's when they morph too. They really morph from that death element to that thrash element.
3: Yeah, because when you talk to those guys, you know they're they they were really into like early like hardcore. You know, like even like uh, stuff that might be considered like crust. You know, bands like Discharge shit like that so and in many ways i feel like thrash is kind of a uh it's kind of like the love child and so a lot there's a lot of people out there that would even indicate that uh when black flag came to san francisco when they were touring for the uh album my war metallica uh was in the crowd at the time and they definitely found it to be very influential especially you know the two guitars that black flag was using on that tour and you know people that argue that hardcore doesn't have any sort of influence for thrash i uh I think they uh, should check their check their history there because the crossover is definitely definitely pretty uh, pretty big. Uh, number three for me again, classic band Exodus, their nineteen eighty five album "Bonded by Blood." Just uh, just another awesome Bay Area thrash album. Uh, fucking Paul Beloff's the man. Gary Holtz, the man. I mean, they're just a fucking uh, it, and, and then the timing of the album too is it's one of those blueprint albums for all the other uh, thrash albums that came out in the mid 80s. And, uh, you know, just a seminal Bay Area thrash band. Can't really say enough about that album. Number two for me is, again, I'm taking the easy way out on this, but I'm one of those dudes that just can't decide on my favorite Metallica album. I guess if I absolutely had to pick one, I'd probably go with Ride the Lightning. But... It's between Ride the Lightning and Master for me. So I just decided to combine the two for number two. And again, I think that maybe Ride the Lightning is a little bit more of an influential thrash album because of the timing. But I mean, again, Creeping Death, you know, if I Fire with Fire, it's it's a dope fucking album. And number one for me, not everyone agrees with this. It's kind of one of those things where I'm personally like not a Tool guy, but people that are like, nobody casually likes Tool. They're like, don't like them or r- really fucking into them. And uh, I kind of feel this way about this band. And the only thing this album has going against it is the fact that it came out in 1990. So this is a little late to the thrash party. That being said, it's a perfect album, top to bottom. And I'm going to go with 1990s Rust in Peace by Megadeth. Just, just top to bottom, amazing album. The musicianship on it is on another level. Love him or hate him, Dave Mustaine's a fucking genius. And maybe outside of music, he's probably not much of a genius. But uh, when it came to uh, writing albums at that point, the dude was on fire. Peace Sells is another really good record. But Rust in Peace is just, uh, for me, it's, it's a fucking masterpiece. It holds up sonically. There's, there's nothing bad I could say about the record. Again, I just wish it maybe came out a little bit earlier. But perhaps the timing was kind of them just sort of taking notes on, what, on the do's and don'ts of thrash metal and then just sort of making their sort of pinnacle, opus, climax, whatever you want to call it. So that's my top five, and congratulations. I'm sure Dave Mustaine really gives a fuck that his uh, <laughs> al- al- album topped uh, my top five list. Oh, Dave Mustaine. Yeah, yeah cranky, famous cranky asshole Dave Mustaine.
2: I, uh, my list is going to be really weird. People are going to hate my list, but that's okay. Cause I'm I not going to hate your list. I went with some older and some modern stuff, and I'll tell everybody – Um. If you ask me tomorrow, my list might change, because I'm that kind of dude. Yeah. I'm listening to stuff all the time, and stuff evolves. I know that might sound weird, but I, I, can't, I can't tell you that six months from now, I could tell you this would be my top five thrash albums, because I might have listened to something else for a while, and holy shit, that really blew my mind. You know, yeah, rediscovered dude. something. I'm going to start out with number five. Like I said, a lot of people are going to be like, oh, something else thrash, band. This album was a thrash album. Uh, the guitarist was Jeff Loomis. This album was amazing. Um, world dane's vocals were amazing. Uh, it, it was the heaviest album that nevermore put out. It was a godless endeavor. Um, if you listen to this album, uh, I mean, there's just thrash masterpieces like Boren, My Acid Wounds, um, Medicated Nation. It, it, told, a, it told a great story. It, it just, um, the guitar, Jeff Loomis is just amazing. The godless endeavor went nine and a half minutes. The song I love those thrashy long songs. I, I love world dane's uh, vocals. God bless them. Uh, you know, I love, I think Jeff Loomis is probably one of the most underrated guitar players in heavy metal. Um, I thought an album was absolutely amazing. With some of their earlier albums, like Dreaming Neon Black, they were kind of thrashy at points, and I would say kind of proggy at points, but I thought this album really was their thrashiest album. If you haven't listened to the Nevermore is the Godless Endeavor, you really should. This album came out, oh shit, it out 2000. 2005. 2005, yeah, I double-check quick. So that's my weird pick there. Then I'm going to go with uh, Slayer at number four. Obviously, people can't go wrong with Slayer, but I'm going to be the one that gets get a rock thrown at me because most people are going to go Rain or South. I'm going to go Seasons of the Abyss. Love that album. They're demonically... I thought it was... The selection of demonically possessed thrash standards like War Ensemble, Spirit in Black... Dead skin mask, skeleton of society, and the light lead track, Seasons of The Best. No other band can claim, you know, they had those five essential albums, but this was my favorite Slayer album. Well
3: that was my actual that was actually my uh introduction to Slayer.
2: Nice. It was my favorite. The only thing I would say to come close to us was I loved God Hates Us All. I actually thought that was amazing for a later Slayer album. I really dug God Hates Us All. At number three, I'm going to go with a Bay Area band, but one that not nearly as popular as everyone else, and kind of, you know, put a few albums out and fell through the cracks, but came back strong, is Death Angel. I really, really mm-hmm. love Frawlick Through the Park, the madness of the Mind Rape song, Road Mutants, you know, the guitar and Speed, Unconfused, the, the really strong drumming, um, the Guilty of Innocence I thought was really powerful, you know, it was a nine or another eight minute song. I'm, I'm a fan of those eight minute songs. I thought it was their classic lineup. You know, I really thought they peaked, then they kind of got really kind of a little weird with act three, but they came back in later years. And I really, really was a big fan of Death Angel. And I really thought that they're a band that, that should have been a lot bigger than they were because I thought they were probably more talented than some of the bands that did get big. And they weren't around in a long time. You know, they kind of had that. Or around them, and they came back strong and and put out a couple other albums. The Ultra violence was a really good album too. Before that, Run Through the Park in '88 is the album that I always kind of go back to for them. Uh, really, really enjoyed it. I was gonna say Mark, I I thought Rob Castanet was a great guitar player. Their drummer Andy Glenn on that album, I really thought was the best of their drummers. Just a really, really good album. Interesting too that they had Davey Vane produce it, a guy who mostly did like glam rock and shit. It's kind of interesting, but yeah, I just love that album. So that was my number three. Okay, number two. Da, 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 da. Number two for me is going to be Metallica, uh, Master of Puppets. Very hard between Lightning and Puppets, I agree with you. But I, I guess at the end of the day, I, I kind of flipped a coin and went... I was so close to Megadeth, too, uh, with Rustin in Pieces. I mean, that was one that I was, you know, kind of on my list. But I guess I have a disdain for Dave uh, Mustaine. So I kind of, I guess when I made my choice, it was probably not... Way to go. But, uh, you know, Puppets, I just thought, was the essential thrash album. It's amazing that, you know, these guys put this album out and then put out some of the garbage they have after. But I guess, you know, you get old. They have to understand that. Bands do get old. But Puppets just, uh you know, I think they're on top of their game. They changed a lot with Justice. I love Justice, too. A lot of people did not like that album. I, I loved Injustice for All. But Puppets really was that thraster piece. Cliff, fucking Cliff Burton, Amazing bass player, top of their game. You know, the guys are writing amazing songs. You know, you start out with battery punched in your face, master of Puppets. I love Damage Inc. You know, the definitely,
3: it's definitely one of those scenarios where it's like two bands, you know, when you look at their That's history. Like, you maybe, have th- maybe three. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I guess because if you want to sort of include like mistake, like, or not sorry, if you want to include uh, Newstead, <laughs> like the acceptable stuff that they put out with Newstead. But, like, I don't know. I mean, it's, you, you know, you have early Cliff Burton stuff, um, which is, you know, obviously one of the best bands to ever play music. And then, you know, Bob Rock kind of ruined that band. And yeah. then you have, like, Load, Reload, which isn't even that. It, it, comparatively speaking, those two albums aren't even that fucking bad. When you look oh. at stuff like St. Saint, Saint Anger being, like, you know, the, yeah. one of, arguably the biggest piece of shit in music history. It's like, how do I you talk? how do you ultimately talk about a band like Metallica? I mean, obviously you still have to give it up for them because they've put out some of the most epic metal albums of all time, but at the same time, they're, they're blustery assholes that, you know, fucking put out, put out shit and, you know, if you ever want to see how big of a pricks they are, just watch some, (laughs) some kind of monster. You you have a documentary just to show you the whole thing.
2: And then they kind of, reverted they tried to revert their sound in later days too with the last two album. You know, they tried to get back to the, the heaviness. Yeah. never quite have, but they tried. But yeah, it's just a definitely a very different band over the years. Like I said, well puppets I mean puppets did I mean Lightnings too. Lightning's fucking amazing. I mean, you know, but disposable heroes, things that should not be. I remember three o'clock in the morning, my friends all around the k- kitchen drinking beer, smoking weed, whatnot, singing along to fucking welcome home sanitarium and that's the other oh, thing too
3: it's like they they weren't afraid to like show their vulnerability on records you know with songs like sanitarium uh, and paid to black paid to black and and that was that was interesting you know when you had so many other bands that were just like we're tough we just get wasted all the time nothing matters but these guys you know intended like th- these guys definitely did show their let their guards down every once in a while so it was like it was a band that you could relate to beyond just that sort of frantic like thrash party Heavy metal parking lot vibe. So,
2: but yeah, they put their they always put their like one anthemic song in the earlier albums. Like I said, between that and lightning, it's a coin flip. And, and really, for me, even though Justice was different, I love Justice too. I love Justice uh, also. I
3: just wish that yeah. I wish that they uh, made Jason Newstead's bass playing audible. <laughs> right? They you wish
2: they had bass on the album?
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I mean, I'm sure that the 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 recordings exist. They're just not audible.
2: Yeah, they they did a retrack of some of it. They, they had some of it online a couple of years ago. Someone did. And then, I don't know, something happened.
3: My, my favorite part of some kind of monster is when they go to see Jason Newstead's other, whatever, Voivod or whatever he was playing in. Right. And, and, and he just doesn't, he just leaves. He does. He, they, he like definitely knows. I mean, you know, they're walking around with a film crew. It's like he definitely knows they're there. And he just leaves, doesn't say hi to him or anything. Uh,
2: uh, uh. Yeah, he's kind of funny. The dude walked away from the biggest man in the world. Shows.
3: I'm sure it doesn't have anything to do with them fucking making his life hell.
2: Hell no. Well, huh? Shows. So my number one, um, probably gonna get grief from some people, but I don't care. Um, I didn't I got out of metal for a while. Um, I still listened to the old metal, but you know, I really didn't hear anything new that you know, made me want to go out and see a band. I didn't go to a concert in a few years. And then a buddy of mine said, Don't listen to this this machine head album. I said, no, because I'd heard the Burning Red and shit, and they kind of got rappy. And I said, no, I don't, I'm not really a big fan of that. I'm not a, you know, I heard some of their shit that I didn't like. I mean, Davidian was good in the first album. But then he said, just listen to it. So I went on a drive one day. I had to go to Albany. and It was about a two-hour trip from my house. And I put it in. I put in the blackening. And oh, my God. Right from the beginning of the first track, which is a 10-minute, Fuck You, Punch You in the Nose, Clenching the Fists of Descent track, to Beautiful Morning, to The Aztecs of Hate, which is a greatly written song about uh, Dimebag Daryl, to the, the harrowing twin guitars And Now I Lay thee Down, which reminds me so much of Carrie uh, King and Jeff Hanneman, to Slanderous, to Halo, to Wolves, to Farewell and Arms. And if you got a deluxe edition, which they do an amazing cover of Hallowed Be Thy Name by Iron Maiden and Battery by Metallica. Um,
3: so, so what's the deal with Machine Head? Because you know, wh- I kind of fall into that what you were talking about beforehand with their friend. My my presumptive my presumption because, of, like when I first heard about Machine Head, it was during that you know early two thousands, late nineties, n- new metal period, and I just assumed that they were just kind of like one of those many bands that sort of were capitalizing on that sort of drop D potent- like rap sort of metal phase. And th- well,
2: yeah, they started out very thrashy. They hit. Uh- Rob had just broke away from violence. I'm sure you probably heard of violence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the first album, which had David on it, was Burn Out My Eyes. I would say it's a, a classic album, too. Very, very thrashy. And then they kind of got away from it. They got a new guitarist and Audrey, I forget what his last name was. And they did Burning Red and Supercharger. And they kind of got uh, in that rappy thing, you know, dreadlocks. They look like a bunch of fucking idiots. And <laughs> then they did... Throughout, <laughs> then Basket, they did throughout, basketball
3: jerseys and shit, camo. Yeah.
2: The Ashes of Empires. And that album was okay, but this album was just fucking amazing. This is, you know, this is the second album where they brought Dave McLean and Phil Demel in. And I think McLean is one of the most underrated drummers on metal. Demel is an amazing guitarist. He just played with Slayer. Uh, while uh, Gary Holt was out for a little while. This album was amazing. And then, and then what I did was I tracked down a deluxe edition. There was a, a I got it from eBay Japan. I had to go through a whole lot of trouble to get this deluxe edition. They cover Ellen's on Fire from Poison Idea. They do a crazy cover of Negative Creep from Nirvana, and I'm not nice. a fan, but this song was amazing. They do Bad Brains, House of Suffering. They cover the possibility of life's destruction from Discharge. They do Wholeness Sky from Sabbath. They do Hard Times from Cro-Mags.
3: Wow, they I mean, have really they have really good taste. They do.
2: So if you get that, and you get the deluxe edition with Hollow Be Thy Name, which is probably, you wouldn't think they'd do a great Maiden cover, but they did, and they do an amazing battery cover. And then you get the original eight songs, which are, I mean, you got "A Farewell to Arms, 10 minutes and 13 seconds. Clenching the Fists of Descent, 10 minutes and 37 seconds. Halo, 9 minutes. Wolves, 9 minutes. This is a masterpiece. To them. And, and what they did was they went in... And even with their next album, which was Unto the Locust, which we'll be playing some of later, they went in and learned how to play like classical guitar, these little bits, so they could do like that intro into some of these songs. I challenge people to go listen to this whole album and tell me it's not fucking amazing because I hated Machine Head. I hated them. You wouldn't even have got a, a grip out of me. I'd have been like, that shit. And I champion them so much now because this album changed my whole perspective because I started going to concerts again. When I listened to this, I went to see them, uh, Lamb of God, different shows, and uh, Demon Hunter. I went to see Iced Earth. Uh, I went to different shows, and th- this album is why I did.
3: Um, dude, well, you just sold it to me. I know what I'm listening to after. But we've been talking for a while. Why don't we? Uh, why don't we get into some Machine Head to kind of, sort of, since we're talking about them now, uh, to sort of bookend our next top five when we come back from that. What do you say?
2: Absolutely. This is I Am Hell, So not throw in C number. This is from the Unto the Locust album, which next week I'll write a review of. Another amazing classic fucking Machine Head album. Uh, it's a great eight and a half minute song. Rob does this classical guitar bit in the beginning where he actually went and learned how to do this on this uh, special guitar. So I hope you all enjoy it.
3: Hell yeah. Here we go. Machine Head, I Am Hell.
4: Sangre.
3: And we're back. And, yeah, that definitely uh, that definitely doesn't sound like the machine head that I seem to remember uh, during the uh, Dreadlocks uh, new metal basketball jersey period. Um, yeah. that, was, that was pretty fucking cool, man. You, yeah, uh, without a good, doubt. You're a good machine head salesman.
2: Well, you know, I, I hated him. I'd be the first person to say it. And uh, that album is, is fucking amazing. And for me to put it as my number one thrash album until I hear something else come in, uh, you know, and then I'm thinking of my list. I'm regretting it. I should have put Testament in there, too. i totally thinking I should have put the Dark Formation to Earth or the Gathering in my top five, but I didn't.
3: That's Next why time. That's why superlatives and, like, you know, hyperbola, it, I just try to avoid it because, you know, Bach invented all this shit. It's all just reinterpretation, so. <laughs> um, but, yeah, you know, we got that other top five list that uh might as well get into. That's, yeah. That's, uh. About a lot of little company from Philadelphia that we all seem to hold very dear to our hearts.
2: Absolutely. So let me dig up my top five, as I'll do it first here. This is, is going to be a top five matches from ECW. Obviously, we're all most of us big ECW fans. I went to fifty-seven ECW shows. I remember. Might be more. I may have lost track. I had most of my tickets, but I've been in the arena like twenty times. Um, most of these shows I'm going to talk about, I was at. Trying to think if there are any that I wasn't, I'm looking down my list here. Now, I was at all of them, so I was at all all five of these matches. So, oh, yeah. for me, that's you know, obviously being in the crowd. And, and so, the number five and uh, an amazing match. Uh, I, I might have uh, between this one and uh, three and four was hard. This could have been three, this could have been four, but uh, number five is from the Wrestlepalooza. Uh, 1995, in August. It's a six-man tag. It's going to sound like craziness on it, but it was just Cactus Jack, Dean Malenko, and Two Cold Scorpio against Eddie Guerrero and Rick and Scott Steiner. This is a fantastic six-man tag. Very
3: unusual. What's that I would just said that it's it's unusual, but in the same it's in the same right. It's a very like 1995 ECW booked match. You know what I'm saying? Yes, very unusual
2: collection of talent. The Steiners uh, were throwing amazing suplexes as ever. They're doing their tag team spots. Eddie was on fire. Uh, you know, eventually getting the win. Blinky mixing in his match work. Uh, Cactus doing some crazy stuff. He took a crazy suplex from Scott Steiner and ended his off the uh, elbow apron onto Rick. Uh, and all of this craziness, Scorpio did this insane uh, moonsault lake drop. Uh, this match was just six of the best at what they do. Uh, Steiner strong style, obviously Eddie and Dean that junior style, Scorpio that junior Japanese style, kind of like what I think and you know, catch his stats, that craziness. Um, it just meshed it well and it was that kind of that dream ECW kind of thing. My next match is Rob Van Dam and Jerry Lynn from Hardcore Heaven in 1999. Um what a match. One of the uh, you know, one of the best ECW matches. Um you know, I didn't put any Eddie Dean solos on there but this kind of reminds me of the Eddie Dean feud because these two had a series of great matches. You, know, you could tell from the opening few minutes this is going to be something special and didn't disappoint. There's so much action and entertainment. Their styles just well gels so well together plus some of the great chair spots, you know, a lovely looking sunset powerbomb through a table on the outside of the ring. Uh, I believe this is the match where Jerry Lynn, like cracked his skull and had mm-hmm. to go to the hospital after the match. It, just an amazing match, you know. I was at their last pay per view in New York City, and uh, it wasn't even announced. And uh, Rob Van Dam and Jerry Lynn was the main event, and it was so crazy because a lot of us were, were thinking it was going to be the last show. And there did two small shows, like in Arkansas, Missouri, after that. But this was pretty much it. Uh, it was The last show, Haman was on, and you know, no, none of us wanted it to happen because ECW was like a traveling family. But to have uh, RBD come out and do one more uh, one-on-one match with Jerry Lynn was so cool to see at that show. My number three, um, one of my favorite feuds, um, Masato Tanaka and Mike Awesome. Um, My my favorite one, a lot of people will go Heat Wave 98, which was amazing. But I'm going to go with November Remember from 1999. Um, It was kind of a short match, but just brutal stiff. Um, he did a smite did a sit-down awesome mom from the apron to the outside to a table a suplex from Tanaka belly to back Mike awesome to a table a stiff German suplex to Tanaka a beautiful frog splash to end it it's about 14 minutes but it was just they were they were just their art was amazing to watch these two they, I I have a DVD best of where it's like eight disc of just these two guys matches tag matches from fmw ecw all their solo matches uh from zero one from one night stand i mean I, they're one of my favorite feuds, and i had the pleasure of seeing these guys like have three or four solo matches uh in ecw we went to new hampshire once to an ecw tv tape with me and my friend ed years ago it was in salem hampshire i think it was 99 and uh, maybe 2000 or 99. So we went to the show, and uh, we actually ran into Mike Austin and Judge Jeff Jones down at uh, Checking in, and they were in the bar after we bought them a beer. We actually went to dinner with those guys. They invited us to sit down and have dinner with them, and we were talking wrestling and just talking bullshit. It was just, it was so cool because I was such a huge Mike Austin fan. Um, I was so upset how WCW and WWE booked him because he was like one of the best wrestlers. The man could do the most amazing things for the size he had. It's, so it's, sad.
3: It's it's one of the great tragedies, definitely. Yeah. the Story the story of Mike
2: Awesome. So sad how it ended. And Tanaka is just even to this day putting on amazing matches. You know, if you watch his match from from GTW a few months ago with PCO, was just amazing. So Tanaka's another guy who's
3: best, uh, he's in the best shape of his life right now, man.
2: Absolutely. You know, he had a great match with Nick gage and AIW too. He's got a match coming up to collective with Chris Dickinson. It should be
3: amazing. He's still stiff as fuck, too. <laughs> yep, yep. Now,
2: my next match, uh, I think it's the best of the Sabu-Taz series of matches. It was from Barely Legal, 1999. Uh, it was an absolute wars for the FTW title. It was much better than, than the uh, the first one for the Barely Legal pay-per-view. Whatever the, the first pay-per-view, I forget the name, which is horrible. I was at it but it was much better than that uh, sabu put his body through hell for the fans taz brought some serious insanity this match it, it was just felt like one big match it was a knock em, drag 'em drag out war to the end uh the story sabu told with an injured jaw uh, made it so intense as well especially when he got all bloodied up this was an epic main event and then an easily uh my opinion you know it was the best sabu taz ecw match without a doubt and my, my favorite ECW match, this has never changed. I was in a crowd for this. Um, this is the match that crossed the line for Paul Heyman. Uh, the violence was so brutal that he never did another No World Bar wire. I think Sabu and Terry Funk was not only the best No World barbed wire match, probably the best hardcore death match ever. Um, he never scheduled another one again after this. But consider the fact that this had been so extreme. Uh, I mean, there's been good barbwire wire matches sent him before, but the storytelling these guys told, what they put their bodies through Sabu, you know, him taping up his ribs and taping up where he just destroyed bicep. himself, biceps, his ribs, bicep hanging out yep, hanging whatever? out, you know, they're both completely wrapped in fucking barbed wire from head to toe, having to get cut out, um, what they both, the fact that Funk is so old in this match too and still moving and putting on... It was just one of the greatest matches, period, I've ever seen with storytelling and everything else.
3: Man, you got to see that person. That's amazing. Did.
2: The crowd was so hot. It was uh, so hot and yet so scared at moments, too. So aww. Uh, you didn't usually see that in the ECW arena. Usually they're bloodthirsty fans. And people were actually like, oh my god, hit points.
3: Well, I think in a lot, of time, a lot of times, I feel like in those situations, Sabu sort of made it his M.O. to Oh, you guys want blood? I'll fucking give you blood. You know? That oh, sort yeah. of stuff. Yeah.
2: Well, him and, and Funk, too, are just masters of the craft. I mean, they've had a lot of great matches. Not only ECW. They've had some really good indie matches, the two of them. And uh, just uh, masters of their craft.
3: I think mean, Terry Funk, like, committed to your company during the 90s was, must have been such a great, such a great asset, because that dude would just
2: run through a wall for you. Yeah, he's doing moonsaults, you know, in his 60s. Yeah. Yeah.
3: And, then, and then, of course, we, you know, we got to see uh, in uh, Beyond the Mat how truly fucked up he was at, the, at that point with his knees yeah. and everything. Yeah. Well, cool, man. That was an amazing list. Uh, only I only have two repeats uh, from that list. Go figure. So number five for me, more, more of kind of a novelty. The match itself isn't really anything special. It just happens to be the only time um, we got to see Hayabusa in ECW and um, again, it's part of what a lot of people consider to be the best, you know, pay-per-view event that that company yeah. ever put on. It was PC, PCW uh, Heat Wave '98. Um yeah, And I
2: was, uh, I was there, and uh, I don't mean to interrupt you. I apologize. And yeah, that one's so hard not to put that on my list.
3: <laughs> well, I, you know, my list—not to—not to spoil it—but my list is actually bookended by matches at that show. So, um, and and you know, we'll get to it, but. Like, we'll, we'll discuss the entire card real quick just to look at how truly excellent the show was top to bottom. Back to the match itself, you know, I'm obviously not Bahu level or anything, but I am a very big fan of Hayabusa. And uh, I really think that his story just in general is it's almost like sort of how Star Wars is the rise and fall of Darth Vader. You know, I feel like Hayabusa's sort of story is like, in many ways, it's like the, uh, I don't know, it's, it's, it's like the uh, sort of opera of professional wrestling that's highs and it's lows and how, you know, at its core, like most of the people involved in this sport, if you want to call it, they gave, they gave their life for it. And uh, I, I think Hayabusa's is kind of that classic example of the guy that was so into professional wrestling that, you know, it wasn't even wasn't even so much of a if he was going to give everything for it. It was just sort of like how and when. And you know, to me, he's a mythical creature. He's a—he's this just this this entity that's sort of like mystical and sort of hovers around this uh, this great thing that I'm into called professional wrestling. And uh, that being said, you know, him and, and Jinzei Sinsaki, I, I think, is one of the cl- cleanest workers of all time. Everything that guy does in a match is just so clean and just nice. Just presentable, you know, and that being said, you know, you have four guys in the ring that are arguably, arguably four of the best wrestlers, at the very least of the 1990s, and you know, Hayabusa, Shinzaki, RVD, and Sabu, so um, great match, wish it was longer, wish we got to see more of Hayabusa in it, and obviously th- the intention was never to put the belts on those guys, you know, Hayabusa obviously never had intention to do like a long stateside run with ECW, but uh, nevertheless, really cool. And uh, really, one of the few matches we got to see Hayabusa in America outside of the Florida thing he did at the beginning. So that's my number five. Number four from uh, November to remember: the Mexican Death Match between Rey Mysterio and Psicosis. Great match. Those guys, I, I admittedly, didn't see it until after it happens. Um, but holy shit, is that an amazing match? Uh, I, you know, I think prior to that, no one had ever seen the combination of Lucha. With the hardcore stuff, and they fucking did spots all over the entire arena. Just <laughs> excellent match. If you haven't seen it, go back and watch it. Stop short of stop, do everything, but stop short of fucking ordering the network just to watch that match. Because <laughs> it, it's that fucking good. If you like if you like lucha and high spots, and everyone knows how good Rey Mysterio is, but Cicosis is really underrated. I think he's one of the best yeah. luchadors of the 90s. Um, great my favorite, yeah, right? my favorite
2: Lucha Jamask till his day. Yeah, right. It was amazing.
3: Yeah, and cool guy too from what I've heard. Friendly dude. But yeah, Ray Rayver uh, just and again it just kinda sh- you know showed that E C. W. gets labeled as this in a lot of times it gets labeled as this garbage federation, but like you got to see so many different things in E C W, so many different combinations of styles and whatever else, and uh, and that sort of exemplifies that. And you know, it's during a period when a lot of those guys, right before they kind of went on their mass exodus to WCW. So, number three for me, 2000 is not really a great period for ECW, it's kind of the last, the, the, the end, so to speak. Um, that being said, we did get the, from living dangerously, the bull rope match between Carino and Dusty. And I don't know, I just it, it's not a it's not that great of a match, but it's a it's a tremendous moment in the annals of ECW history and you know, anytime you get to see Dusty going against sort of a like, you know, a guy from another generation in Carino. And I, I will admit that I'm not a c i am not I was never a Carino fan, but I loved watching that guy get his ass beat. And there's a whole lot of that in the match. Just, you know, again, not so much of a great match. Everyone knows that there's probably better matches and I just named a better match right before it. But it's, it's a great novelty moment. It's a great history moment that, you know, a lot of people won't forget. And I think sometimes Carino kind of gets glossed over in the history of ECW because he never went on to work for another bigger company. You know, I think if he had had like a WWE run, even if he even if they had him as like the, the male man and he got squashed a couple times by fucking... Ron H to a Waterman or, or whatever, you know, he's still it's still I think might have put him on more people's radars, uh, but the guy does work for NXT now, so um, oh. he's, at, he's at the Performance Center.
2: It was Carino too, he, you know, he didn't, he had such a storied indie career, you know, he had those amazing matches with Shino Hashimoto, um, he went on to early Ring of Honor and that fucking violence with Homicide, with the No World Barbed Wire and the Fight Without Honor, um, I, I enjoyed Steve's heel work. Um, you know, he's done a lot of uh, cool heel stuff, you know, it's feud with Teddy Hart and things like that on the Indies. And uh, he definitely uh you know, I thought he kinda came into his own in that last year of E C W. And, you know, he went on to hold the NWA title. Granted it wasn't the glorious version of the AWA title, but you know, he started zero one in Japan for quite a few years in the beginning of that and he definitely had a career where he traveled all around and he a lot of main events on indie shows so like you said you know he didn't get into that big promotion per se but he definitely traveled well and he was always booked you know in australia and europe he was, he was all over the world yeah that guy
3: that guy's probably been in every airport in every major city in, in the world <laughs> probably uh, so and and then then now we get into the crossovers from our list so i, I it, these two are kind of interchangeable but I decided to put number two as hardcore having 99, RVD and Jerry Lynn. So <laughs> kind of funny story about this one. My dad is a uh, my parents are from Russia. Uh, my dad's a physician and he's a, kind of a kind of a serious guy, a very cerebral person. That being said, my father was a very, very high level amateur wrestler back in the Soviet Union when he was growing up. Um, So much so that he had, you know, offers to kind of go into the Olympic program or whatever else he decided against it because he figured he never would have been able to leave the country if he had become part of their Olympic uh, athletics program. So my dad isn't a big fan of professional wrestling, to say the least. And uh, growing up, we had one of those d scrambler boxes, which was kind of a rite of passage for uh, Jewish kids growing up on the East Coast. And so that's kind of how I got to see all the pay-per-views and ECW and all that stuff back in the day. And, uh, my dad would let me watch, you know, if there was a big pay-per-view and I remember he used to sit behind me when I'd watch wrestling and kind of just scoff at some of the more choreographed parts or, you know, some of the punches that don't even come close to landing and shit like that. And just, you know, he'd sit there work on his starts and just kind of laugh. Or maybe if like a promo was really dumb, he'd laugh. And I remember that match, we watched that match, My dad didn't say a fucking word. And then as soon as the as soon as the fucking doll rang at the end of the match, he very calmly turned to me and said, That was really good. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, off. Yeah, so the the one time my dad put wrestling over was Yeah. RVD Jerry Lynn, Hardcore Heaven ninety nine. It's it's really that good and I mean those guys had generational chemistry. Like it, it's just it's uncanny how good of chemistry and again part of it was because they're just both stiff as fuck and just kicking each other really hard and all that other shit but i mean they they knew they knew what they could do with each other and they they knew how to bring the best out of each other and we all obviously saw how successful rvd was in the career of professional wrestling jerry lynn maybe not quite as successful but jerry lynn arguably has the best name in professional wrestling Uh, nobody puts Nobody gets put over more amongst professional wrestlers than Jerry Lynn does. I mean, the guy is a, a wrestler's wrestler. You know, dude could do it all, and kind of a kind of a wet dream for us to get on the podcast at some point because we know he's a big metalhead. So yeah, Jerry Lynn's the man. Uh, we all know RVD is was the most arguably the most fun a wrestler to watch in ECW um, as far as like you know talents that they sort of made. So, and they have a great, great series of matches between the two as well. They all, they were all bangers. So, you
2: know, what would have been amazing if Awesome had not jumped to WCW when RVD was hurt because they were teasing a program with two of them for mm-hmm. the world title versus the TV title. That would have been so good.
3: That's the thing is, RVD and Mike Awesome both always got hurt at the most inopportune times at ECW. Yeah. That's the only thing that sucks is you know, like RVD flew out his knee and then he broke his fucking leg, and it's just it's you know and then Austin blew out his knee so it's like yeah it's that's the other thing and again you know working that style i mean those guys weren't weren't getting paid that much and they were going crazy every night and you know the wear and tear i think that honestly is why so many of those guys when they when you know ECW ceased to exist when they when they did end up with WCW or WWE they just they just faded out you know and even you even have examples of guys like Justin Credible that you know they were so beat up by the time that they got there that they were just Full on with the drugs at that point. Uh, shouts to Justin I don't on if he list. Hey, PJ, number one. And again, this is on your list as well. Another Heat Wave 98 show. Actually, no, this wasn't on your list. The other match was on your list. But I'm going to go with uh, Mike Awesome and uh, Masada Tanaka from Heat Wave 98. This is an awesome fucking match. Tanaka goes over. Guys, these are, this is another... This is another set of guys that, for whatever reason, they just made magic together. Dudes were really, really tough sons of bitches. Mike Awesome ragdolled Masato Tanaka around the ring, and he took it like a G and threw ridiculous, you know, elbow strikes and everything else and ridiculous chair spots, power bombs, like table spots. I mean, these these guys had something really good going. The only thing that I would say, and part of the reason that I didn't even want to put this on the list is obviously, like... Knowing what we know now about, you know, head injuries and head trauma and all that. I mean, obviously, these series of matches are very brutal in hindsight, especially from an unprotected sort of chair shot point of view. So, obviously, Masato Tanaka still seems to be ticking and going pretty well. I have no idea how, given how many unprotected, vicious chair shots that guy had to endure. Um, Obviously obviously Mike Austin is kind of the uh, opposite end of what could happen in this, this scenario because, you know, obviously that guy's not even just in, you know, if you look at his Japanese career and how many crazy matches and head chair shots whatever else he did over there, you know, you'd, you'd have to wonder, obviously, that did, had something to play into his uh, his last days. Obviously, you know, there's the story about his wife and everything else, cheating on him and all that, but it's uh, it's a shame. And on a more positive note, since my list is over, you know, just to kind of remind you about how amazing Heat Wave 98 is, I mean, you had you had, uh, you had the match, the opening match, the dark was the fucking hardcore chair-swinging freaks against the FBI. You know, you had Justin Credible and Jerry Lynn. Um, That, of course, was when Justin Credible was, you know, full entourage with uh, Jason and Nicole Bass. So, you know, you had that whole novelty. You had Candido and Lance Storm. They're two, two of the very best to ever wrestle in an actual fucking wrestling ring, as far as I'm concerned. Masada, obviously, you have Tanaka and Mike Awesome and then RVD Sabu and Hayabusa Shinzaki. But then, of course... You have the fucking false count anywhere match. Oh, oh, so ta T- Taz and Bam Bam,
2: which so is good. they were totally good together, two of them.
3: Yeah. And you know, maybe, maybe because they're two guys with big egos or what, but they were able to do some dope shit. And I think, you know, people talk shit about Bam Bam, but I mean, there's, you look at how many big money matches the guy was in, in his career and I, I think his i think his uh resume kind of speaks for itself and you know that guy sold tickets yeah. that guy fuck, that guy fucking sold tickets man and i mean bam, bam bam was an attraction like i mean i remember growing up being fucking, seeing him in person at like autograph signings and shit and just being wow you know his tattoos on his head he's so big
2: so you know i i uh i thought his work was always great and you know people might knock on him but Here's a guy who ran into a burning house and saved a bunch of kids.
3: Yeah, and had health issues for the rest of his life yeah, because of it.
2: from it. How many other of these motherfuckers that were run him down would have stood on the curb and watched the house burn?
3: And then, yeah, the main event, too. Yeah, the Dudleys uh, finally getting their comeuppance against Dreamer, Sandman, and Spike. And that was when you still had the full entourage the Sign Guy joel gertner and stuff so he he wave 98 is quite possibly the best ecw show ever go back and watch it especially if, if you have the network or if you have the dvd <laughs> uh if they still have those but yeah let's get into uh let's get into ne- necrophobic what can you tell us about this band mike
2: uh necrophobic uh, obviously they're a band that's been around for a while i would say their their style is kind of this blackened uh swedish death metal uh they, you know they've been putting off stuff since the late 80s uh The the last album they put out, uh, I think, uh, really is a cool, cool album. If people haven't listened to it, it's the mark of the Necrogram, excuse me. Uh, And this song is, uh, you know, to Sarabamba. Uh, It's a cool tune. I think people ought to check them out.
3: Yeah, that was cool. I'm i I'm a fan of the title being a uh, being a Russian. You guys don't know it's Tsar king during pre uh, pre Bolshevik Revolution in Russia. Uh, now we're gonna get into a song by a Denver band. I try to uh, plug Denver whenever possible because I live here and I though I'm not a Denver native. I am very proud of the metal scene that our scene has fostered. And this is a track by a band called A Feather and Bone off their 2018 album bestial hymns of perversion the song is called hymn of perversion and uh yeah just really cool sort of proto death metal band uh maybe not the most melodic band that's ever existed but fuck a melody go listen to power metal if you want metal uh, melodies here's uh, a feather and bone with hymn of perversion
2: we're back. and Today uh, I'm just going to do my little day in history bit. Uh, we'll kind of comment on that. Usually I just talk about some cards that have happened on, on uh, today's date. I and mean you can kind of dissect that a little bit and talk about it.
3: I'm excited.
2: Uh, <laughs> obviously there's a lot of changes and a lot of these uh, old timers names are, uh, are in there. So I'm pulling that up right now. Now uh, on that Scrambler box, did you get all the free porn too? Oh yeah. Nice. Just want to throw that in there.
3: Yeah, my dad was a hornball too, so he was like, he was like, "Hey, check this out, Playboy Network." Sp- uh-huh. <laughs> He's like, "Hey, look, Spice Network." <laughs> That's
2: awesome. That's awesome.
3: Yeah, I'll pu- I put my dad over a lot too. I think that'll be it. maybe we can even work that into like a segment on the It's Just hey, cool. times my dad fucking ruled.
2: That's a pretty good time. <laughs> He's putting over <laughs> the horn. That's fucking awesome. So I'm going to start out with uh, this day in history in 1968. Mid Atlantic Wrestling uh, ran uh, two shows, one in Virginia and one in South Carolina. Uh, I'm just going to kind of go over the main events. The main event of the Lynchburg, Virginia show was Gene Anderson and Art Anderson against George and Sandy Scott. Um, Sandy Scott would eventually go on to be the Booker. I was seeing you know, we know the Andersons that was pre Oli. Um, Les Thatcher, who recently passed away, um, God bless him, was also on that card. Uh, those are some of the uh, the bigger names on that one. While at the same time they are such a big territory and popular in the 60s, they also ran in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, Ronnie, very young Ronnie Garvin 1968, and Terry Garvin uh, were in a tag matchup. The main event was two out of three falls with some local guys that were big names, Abe Jacobs and Luther Lindsay, against kind of the premier heel team of that time, Rip Hawk and Sweet Henson. So that's... Uh, that's uh, 1968 in, uh, in Virginia, in South Carolina. The same time we're going to go to a promotion called World Championship Wrestling in Australia. Very huge promotion. Um, the booker who booked for Georgia and whatnot owned this promotion after he had left uh, Detroit and Chicago. Uh, Barn Jim Barnett, and uh, he actually for ten years he ran huge numbers. Uh, they were doing stadium shows in Australia. Uh, the main event was Gorilla Monsoon defeating Tex McKenzie. Some other known Americans were uh, Spiros around known for his uh, feud with uh, Bruno Sammartino, uh, Billy White Wolf, Killer Carl Cox.
3: Was uh, uh, was was uh, Gary Hart over there at the time? He may have been,
2: but he wasn't on this card. Okay. You very well have been, I know, because a lot of people went through that time because that was actually a very big time in um, wrestling in Australia. You know, Bruiser Brody went through there. So much talent. Pat Patterson was on this card. He was on one of the openers. Uh, Larry O'Day was on this card, who's who's actually a big Australian guy. The only fame Larry O'Day would ever have over here is he went. The one time that WCW ran an NWA World Tag Team Tournament, I and mean, his son got, like, squashed by, like, Steve Williams and Terry Gordy. <laughs> like first rounds. So That's his only fame in the United States, but what, it was, of, what
3: what kind of buildings was this company running? I'm assuming like arenas? Or stadiums. Like, yeah. Stadiums. This is
2: Sydney Stadium.
3: Oh, yeah, Jesus. I know at
2: times they were doing fifteen to twenty to thirty thousand people. Because they had got T V in Australia. This is the first time that uh, they had really had wrestling all across. And Australia too is you know, if you listen to Deathmatch Radio News, we actually have an Australian consultant that came on about a week ago, and he's going to be joining us a couple times a month. Now, Australia is such a vast country to travel to. So, you know, they, you may have to go two or three hours to get to another place. You know, you may have to go cross boat by plane. So a lot of these places, you know, now that they're all getting this TV nationwide, it was a big thing over there. So they were doing really, really big stadium shows. You know, Barnett was down there for about 12 years and really did really, really well.
3: Did Bill Dundee work in any of these shows, or did he not actually work in any Australian promotions? Did uh, all just Bill like didn't,
2: this? and ironically, Bill isn't really Australian. He was born in Ireland.
3: Oh, he just claimed to be Australian?
2: Well, I think he had some Australian, you know, in, a, in his family, but yeah, he, he was actually born in Ireland. Okay. So, 1974 on this day, the AWA ran a show in uh, Peoria, Illinois, and... World Champion Fern Gagne defeated Nick Bonkwinkle, obviously that's a feud that that went on forever and ever. Olympian Chris Taylor defeated a very young uh, preliminary guy called Ric Flair, (laughs) just got out of camp. Uh, Greg Gagne was the opener with René Goulet, Uh, Billy Robinson was on the card, so that was their AWA. The same day, Stampede Wrestling Red in uh, Edmonton, Alberta. The main event was the Mongolian Stomper, who he sometimes wrestled as. Archie Goldie was Archie Goldie in Canada. He was always a Stomper down here. Uh, Took on Harley Race. Uh, Larry Lane was on that card. Sailor Art White was on that card. Uh, Danny Little Bear. So a lot of different Canadian talent and a few Americans on there along with Harley
3: Race. I believe uh, Archie Archie Golding has the distinction of being Bret Hart's favorite wrestler
2: growing up. Yes, he is, yeah. He did his runs up there mostly as Archie Golding. Then he was mostly the Mongolian stomper down in Southern America, wrestling for uh, Knoxville, wrestling for uh, Continental Wrestling, wrestling for CWA in Memphis.
3: Wasn't he and, a C- wasn't he a CFL football player? Also he was.
2: There? Yes. Yep. Yep. And then he did a run for Jim Cornette and Smoky Mountain. Got yeah, very popular in Canada. You know, he did the wrestling thing, and then uh, I know there's a big angle with his son getting hurt in Stampede and. I know eventually got led to a stampede and kicked off of television for a while. Cause the angle was still violent.
3: Yeah. He's one of those, like, uh, kind of like your, uh, Angela Mosca kind of guys. Yeah,
2: exactly. Same day in Philadelphia, the WWWF three F three W's in an F <laughs> ran a TV taping in Philadelphia. Uh, the main event was world champion Bruno Sammartino lost by count out to Larry the Axe Henning, who recently passed away, uh, you know, God rest his soul, her Henning's father. Chief J. Strongbro took on Don Leo Jonathan, another gentleman that passed away a few years ago. Uh, Tony Gurria and Dean Hull defended the world tag titles against Mr. Fuji and Mr. X. Nikolai Volkov was on the card. Stan Stasiak was on the card. So this is uh, so no big names in the Philadelphia arena. There's secondary market as compared to MSG, but they ran some big shows there.
3: Uh, now our- didn't WCW, NWA run uh, Philadelphia a lot more frequently?
2: They did in the 80s. They started about 85. Uh, WWE owned Philly until then. And then WCW ran it more. But WWE still ran. But WWE actually had a TV show on that area for years in the 70s. And it's the early 80s. Alive from the spectrum. Then I would say about 85, the NWA started creeping up into Virginia and Buffalo and Philadelphia.
3: Using the mid Atlantic to sort of funnel its way into Philly. Yeah. So now we're
2: gonna jump in our time machine. That's what I like to do after I smoke a joint. I like <laughs> to jump in my time machine. So nineteen eighty, in Portland, Oregon, Pacific Northwest Wrestling. The main event was the Playboy Buddy Rose defeated Rick Martell. Uh, I, I-, I I bet <laughs>
3: I bet Billy Jack Haynes is on this card.
2: No, sir. We we're pre Billy Jack Haynes, 1980. Aww. A few years before Billy Jack joined. Crazy Billy Jack. Iceman <laughs> King Parsons was on his card. Uh, Don Leo Jonathan, Roddy Piper, uh, Stan Stasiak. Again, he's been all over. Uh, Luke Williams, one half of the Bushwhackers, Sheepherders, Kiwis. He was on his card. Was Same that, Day, what's that? That
3: was, that was what, Don Owens territory?
2: Yes, Don Owens, who ran it for, I want to say, 60 years.
3: So much talent went yeah. through the fucking territory, man. Oh, absolutely. I'm a huge fan of their late
2: 80s stuff. You know, Scotty the Body, a young raven, the grappler, the Southern Rocker, Steve Dahl. Didn't
3: uh, Brody Brian, Brody went through there too, right?
2: Yeah, Brody did some stuff there. Snooker, Dynamite Kid, had a run there in the early 80s. Uh, you know, they had, you know, Guy Went to be Crushed, Brian Adams, the Bruiser Brothers, Ron Down Harris Harris. Uh, yeah, everybody went through there at times. You know, Snooker, Buddy Rose, Kurt Henning. Uh, So much talent went through Pacific Northwest. Jimmy Snuka was there a lot over the years. Obviously, Roddy Piper lived there, so he'd always pop up. You know, Beetlejuice, our bar.
3: (laughs) You mean when he's not living in Scotland?
2: Correct, correct. (laughs) You know, he was born in Canada. (laughs) So next, uh, we're still stuck in 1980. We were in Shreveport, Louisiana, for Mid-South TV taping. The main event was Colonel Buck Robley and the Junkyard Dog. Uh, defeating Bob Sweet and a very young Terry Gordy Ernie Ladd Mike George run the card Ted DiBiase a pre mr. wonderful Paul Orndorff uh, King Cobra if anybody remembers King Cobra he was predominantly a jobber in Memphis and in uh, Louisiana area same day also CWA did a TV taping in Memphis uh, the assassins one and two main evented against from the hillbilly and Jerry Bryant Build on Dundee defeated Paul Ellering. Uh, obviously, Paul Ellering, who would want to become the manager of the Road Warriors. So now we're gonna jump in our time machine. We're gonna go to 1985. The WWE. We're gonna get some cheesy time machine music on for this part. <laughs> All right, we're gonna we're gonna jump into Tartus, Tartarus. Tartarus. <laughs> Any Doctor Who fans out there? Yeah. No,
3: I'll I'll get I'll get the Doctor Who theme. Uh, Doc, <laughs> Doctor Who in here.
2: It'll be the time machine. Uh, WWE All Star Wrestling. Uh, ran at a, a World Tag Team Champions, Mike Rotundo and Barry Windham, the US Express, defeated Moondog Rex and Renee Goulet. Uh TJ Santana defeated a jobber by the name of AJ Petrulli, who would go on to be an ECW original. He was one half of the Super Destroyers. Um, people probably don't remember that either. Jim Knightheart was on this card. Uh, Paul Orndorff and Bob Orton and Junkyard Dogs. You can see kind of the talent that jumped from 1980s Mid-South five years later. A majority of them were in WWE okay. just okay. Time when Vince was swallowing everybody. Oh, Vince didn't even spit. Okay. So 1985, Jim Crockett promotions Randy Junior High School in Culper, Virginia. The NWA Midland Atlantic Television title, uh, Tully Blanchard defended against Manny Hernandez. Buzz Tyler defeated Black Bart. The NWA Mid-Atlantic Heavyweight title, Steve Casey, defeated Ron Bass, who was championed by DQ. Uh, Denny Brown defeated Doug Vines. Uh, Doug Vines is the guy who would wrestle with Jeff Sword. Uh, they did a lot of stuff for ICW, Lenny Poffo, or uh, Father Angelo promotion. They wrestled the Barroom Ballers in USWA. They did this crazy satanic gimmick in the early 80s. And Black Bart would also defeat Keith Larson, so he would do double duty. So now we're going to jump to 1991. We're almost out of the time machine. We still got a few more stops. Calgary for WWE. Just going to run through quick. Hulk Hogan defeated the Earthquake. Kerry Von Erich defeated Ted DiBiase. Uh, Big Boss Man defeated Barbarian. The Road Warriors defeated Kato Tanaka and Mr. Fuji. Tito Santana defeated Haku, which in real life would never happen. Bret Hart and Jim Neidhart defeated Paul Roma and Hercules. Power and Glory. Jake Roberts defeated Rick Martel by DQ. And Greg the Hammer Valentine defeated Coco Beware.
3: I was like, "What weren't they like gonna put the titles on Power and Glory?" But Paul Roma was just such a dickhead that they were like, "Nah."
2: Yeah, he was so bad too, so shitty in the ring. You know, I wonder.
3: Just... I, I wonder if they let Orient Express get any uh, any any spots any offense in against the Road Warriors, or if it was just a squash. I highly
2: likely doubt it. <laughs> I imagine Mister Fuji probably got like press slammed, too because he was in a match. Uh, yeah. So, New Japan ran their Super February card that day in uh, Kobe, Japan. Uh, I'm just going to go through some of the talent on this card. Uh, Super Machine, Kentucky Suzaki Hiroshi Chass, Jusen Liger, uh, For Foreigners, Pegasus Kid, Chris Benrott, uh, Demolition Axe was teaming up with an interesting match. Demolition Axe team with Bam Bam Bigelow defeat Kenji Muda and Kengo Kamimura.
3: One's Scott Axe, was that, is Axe Bill Eadie?
2: Yes, Master Superstar. Okay. Scott Norton defeated Asamoah Kido. Dave Finley was on his card with Franz Schumann. There's a lot of international talent on this card. Uh, a lot of the normal Koji Kanemoto, you know, like your 1991 Japanese guys. WCW also ran a Power Hour. Uh, Tommy Rich was on the card. Rick Steiner and Scott Steiner defeated Master Blaster, Blade, and Steel. Do you know who Master Blaster, Blade, and Steel were? It's a quiz. Uh, not off the top of my head. Al Green, who you probably don't know, and Kevin Nash. Okay. He
3: was Master Blaster?
2: Yes, they were both uh, Master Blaster Blade and Steel. Uh, they used to wear this uh, makeup like from a uh, Mel Gibson movie. And they, wore, like, uh, they were like a cheap ripoff of the Road Warriors.
3: I remember, was it? Wasn't there also the Blade Runners, which is like Sting and Ultimate Warrior, and they? Uh, yeah, for- they
2: were. There were the Blade Runners in UWF before that. Uh, they were yeah. in Tennessee originally. They were. Uh, they were uh, Rock and uh, Sting, because he, he didn't become the Warrior until he became the Dingle Warrior in World Class. Then he became the Ultimate Warrior in WWE.
3: It was, so what? They basically were like, "Hey, you guys both are super gassed up, What's, right. and, you, and you don't know how to really work."
2: Right. Yeah, there's stories of Dick Slater uh, putting Sting and uh, warriors' heads in the toilets and like making them look like assholes in front of everybody. Shitting in their bag, putting their heads in toilets. <laughs> Sounds good. Good good old fashioned hazing. Yes. The gas didn't uh it works so also on that car, Sid Vicious, uh, squashed somebody, uh, Michael Hayes and Jimmy Garvin for the worst incarnation of the Freebirds defeated Brian Pillman and Brad Armstrong. Doom defended the World Tag Team titles, that would be Butch Reed and Ron Simmons, and Barry Windham won in a squash match. But our time time machine has one final stop. uh, (laughs) You can edit that part. Uh, It was in Louisville for OVW, uh, 1999. Uh, This card, uh, Nick Dinsmore would go on to be Eugene. Rob Conway defeated Demaja.
3: Who was Rob? Who Rob Conway would go on to be? Rob Conway.
2: Yes, Rob Conway would continue to be Rob Conway. I'm sure he's wrestling somewhere in Kentucky right now in a gym. Uh, this probably, was...
3: He probably like owns OVW now just because he's been there the longest. Like, here, do you want yeah. this? Is L. L. Snow
2: owns OVW. Yeah. So L. basically, L. so
3: like Rob Conway owns OVW. Yeah.
2: Yep, Al Snow actually bought it from Danny Davis. Well, Not sure why. But, and this was a pre-WWE OVW. This was early 99. WWE would come in in about two months. So this was like pre-Flash Flanagan was on the card. Cousin Otter was on the card. For any fans of Cousin Otter? Anybody out there? all
3: <laughs> you, mean, you mean all of the fans of, of Cousin Otter? Right.
2: Right. Cousin Otter. Yes, for all the fans of Cousin Otter, he was on the card, too. Uh, I know there's a big fan club somewhere for Cousin Otter, I'm sure. Uh,
3: potentially, more, potentially more than Flash Flanagan, but who knows?
2: Right. He also wrestled with Black Jack Brown, Jack Black, and Jack McClubbins. If that helps anybody.
3: Flash Flanagan, oh. of course, from the uh, amazing uh, WWE light heavyweight tournament t- title tournament. Lost, yes. in, lost in the first round.
2: Yes, and the infamous IWA Mid-South shoot where two guys from OVW came and he beat the fuck out of them both in the crowd. They were actually heckling the IWA wrestlers and he jumped from the ring and beat them up. Nice. So that's the Time Machine for today. Why don't don't you play some music for us? Everyone probably has a headache from my long rendition of the Time Machine.
3: (laughs) Well, they say nothing cures a headache like uh, black metal, so... uh, (laughs) That being said, here's Emperor with the loss and curse of reverence. That was Emperor, and uh, yeah, nothing quite captures the sound of a jet engine going off like some uh, Norwegian black metal. But that being said, uh, let's just keep it going. And uh, hey, Mike, you know, I don't smoke crack, and I don't think you do, but if I did, I would probably do it in hell. So uh, I
2: would do it in hell with slack.
3: Yeah. I mean, uh,
2: slack would smoke crack in hell. That's how I would do it
3: yeah, so if we ever get the chance, maybe you know when we're in hell, schlacks there, and there's crack, well, we'll make it happen. And uh, that being said, here's uh, Deathmatch Cult, favorite schlacks band, Crack house. Uh, by the way, check actually go seek it, seek this EP out. It's actually really good. Um, their last ep was uh, was also good, but I think sonically, they've really sort of added a lot of uh, production value to their sound. And uh, check out Smoke, Crack, and Hell by Crackhouse featuring Schlack. Shout
2: out to Schlack. Giddy up. just smoke some crack in hell
3: <laughs> yeah now we're, so we, uh, we're all cracked
2: out now we, we all feel a little bit better now maybe maybe we'll kick in a couple more tunes before we uh we continue on uh i'm gonna play uh, a little uh celtic frost uh obviously uh people remember celtic frost I'm gonna play some of their earlier stuff that didn't suck <laughs> <laughs> Very true. and this was what was this song into the Crips of rays into the Crypt of Rays. So this is some earlier cutting Frost when they, uh, they uh, you know, before they hit Cold Lake, they were pretty cool. Then Cold Lake hit and they got really weird. They tried to become Bon Jovi.
3: So do you know, this song is actually about Jules um, de Rey. Do you, do you know about this guy? Jules uh, no, de Rey uh, was a French um, I don't know soldier, baron, knight, etc. During the time of Joan of Arc, um, he actually fought. He actually fought with Joan of Arc um, uh, in Brittany or whatever the fuck that region was called at the time. But actually, uh de Ray is actually not famous for that. He's much more famous for the uh, rumors about him being a vicious murderer, uh, specifically of little kids. Um, so uh, you know, obviously, they never found any substantial uh, any any evidence, um, but he was trial tried and executed for murdering upwards of like a hundred little kids. Um, if you're into serial killers and murder, well, shouldn't be into murder, but if you're fascinated by serial killers and stuff like that, you know, maybe like you're a heavy metal guy and you like some of that subject matter, uh, go read his Wikipedia page because some of the descriptions of what he would do with these people. Um, I mean, it's up there with like your gains and your gay and stuff, pretty fucked up shit. And uh, yeah, that's what uh, this song actually refers to, the crypts of Ray, because apparently uh, Jules Ray had underground crypts where he did all this perverted insanity. But um, there's also a bunch of uh, it's also actually debatable um, apparently people think that the church or somebody was framing him and he didn't actually do any of that stuff because of how preposterous and how intense and how sadistic some of these, uh, stories actually are without any actual evidence. Uh, some people think it might actually be a, um, just a giant, uh, conspiracy. So you've learned something in addition to stuff about heavy metal and, uh, Professional wrestling. <laughs> yes,
2: yes, I'm not gonna touch his name because uh, for months I fucked up guantos, so I couldn't imagine what I would do with that name. So,
3: <laughs>
2: uh, yeah, just just That's leave it alone. Not my league. <laughs> call him Jin. There you go.
4: <laughs>
3: sound like one of the guys from gojira um so uh let's transition to something that is a little bit more interior Like let's talk about the state of uh deathmatch wrestling in usa right now
2: state of deathmatch wrestling in usa right now is I, I personally think it's like the golden age of deathmatch wrestling i think it's the best uh the best stage it's ever been there's uh you know gcw obviously that are just uh they're constantly one-upping what they do. Every time they do something new, it's uh, it's always bigger. They always put on better shows. bring in a, whenever there's someone that cancels, they bring in someone better. You know, Loki cancels, they bring in Minoru Suzuki. Joey Ryan cancels, they bring in David Arquette. Last minute, the, the building calls out, they find a better building. Uh, they listen to their fans. Their fans wanted Jun Kasai, they brought in Jun Kasai. The fans wanted Takeda, they brought in Takeda. Uh, they listen to what people want. Their legendary Deathmatch tournament, you know, NGI 2, I still think is probably the best Deathmatch tournament ever. Uh, NGI 3 was amazing. Uh, TOSs are all amazing. Uh, you know, the historic Nick Gage, Matt Tremont, three series of matches. The Crazy Wars and Howl, like Sequel Play and Eric Ryan, Sequel Play and G. Raver, Viking and Marcus Crane, Slack and Marcus Crane, Jimmy Lloyd and Reed Bentley. I mean, it's just, we're going to talk about it in 10 years, uh, like it was like uh, ECW. Um, now they're touring more. They're going to LA. They're going uh, to Philadelphia. They're doing more stuff in Chicago. I, I think they might be going international. You know, who knows? Maybe we'll see them in Canada Mexico again. They say they might be in Mexico in April. DTU announced something, but I haven't heard anything on the G, uh, G, GCW end yet. Uh, so they're just, uh, I think, the most prominent death promotion and, you know, super indie promotion going right now. Uh, what are your thoughts on GCW?
3: I'm, for my money, it's the best thing going right now. Uh, you know, I've been fortunate enough to attend, attend a few events. I was at NGI 3. Um, I was at 400 Degrees recently. You know, I, I guess the only thing I could say is that I, don't, I haven't really been to one of their non-Deathmatch-centric shows. So I don't really have the in-person perspective of one of those. You know, I definitely plan on making it out to uh, Asbury Park at some point. I have a really good friend that lives like five miles away from the venue where they run. So, I mean, it's, on the, it's, it's in the cards. But, yeah, I mean... They just continue to not to be cliche and fucking stupid about it, but they continue to uh, change the game. The the, the hype continues to grow. They sell out all their events in seconds. Obviously, spring break sold out and was so successful that they did another one and it sold out within seconds or minutes or whatever. You know, Brett, obviously seems like a really passionate guy that uh, cares a lot. Both Brett and Danny both seem to really you know be doing all the right things. Um, it doesn't seem like they force booking decisions either you know sometimes that you might you know assume that like indie stuff is kind of just thrown together but they really seem to really put a lot of thought in all of their bookings i can say that i equally enjoy shows that are deathmatch centric versus their shows that are you know dream match heavy and work you know centric that being said do i like every single match in gcw history well no but like i i love the fact that they're willing to to Occasionally make mistakes, learn from their mistakes, and uh, I think that this is this is going to be the company that sort of continues to blur the lines because I brought I brought a friend to 400 degrees who is a uh, you know a Ring of Honor WWE sort of guy. And aside aside from maybe the beginning first couple of matches where he didn't have eye protection, he was super into it (laughs) to the point where he's still texting me about stuff from the show. So, I I mean, I think that this company has an uncanny ability to make fans out of people that might have potentially thumbed their nose at some of the extreme stuff. And I think that they are making all the right decisions as far as marketing and, you know, they'll just continue to grow and not, you know, hopefully not become too big for their britches and i I think if any company is gonna gonna really continue to grow and and sort of validate that style it's going to be gcw um I, i don't see any other companies even coming close right now so no they're definitely a step above there's a
2: lot of other hungry companies out there that can grow no one is near them you know you have h2o i think that's doing amazing things on Matt Tremont.
3: I like that they're trying to do it a little bit differently. I think I think yep. that they're I think that they're not trying to be as blatant with the violence. Um,
2: they're almost like an old school kind of Memphis territory yeah. where they have you
3: know Bra- brawling angles. A lot of brawling.
2: Yeah, and, and they'll build these long angles and storylines, which I appreciate. Um, you know, they've done some more heavier violence stuff in the last couple of cards, they're starting to use lock tubes and stuff. Uh, they bring in a lot of new talent. Um, You know, the last card they did, I thought Eddie Only and Raven Havoc really stepped out as stars. And you'll see these two younger guys, I think, on a lot more indie cards because Matt brought them in and they really kind of shined in their matches. So I think it's a great place. You know, Matt brings in constant new talent. He's good relations with everybody and people don't bitch about him. They all love him. He's got his own building now, which is great. So he can do what he wants, you know run more shows. He rents it out for other shows. He does a lot of the big shows and around pay-per-views so you can go watch the show and then stay and have pizza and beer and watch the World Rumble. That's you know, he.
3: Talented, birth- talented guy with a really good mind for the business.
2: Absolutely. He does birthday parties there and, and all kinds of stuff. So it's really it's good. He's successful. He's got his store there now, so that's great. You can even shop there on Tuesdays and Thursday nights when his training school is going. He's got a training school. He's got a lot of great things going on. I wish him nothing but the best, and H2O is a, is a great product.
3: <laughs> um, what other promotions do you follow? I would be remiss if I said that I didn't try to at least watch some CZW here and there. Um, again, it's it's not really a... Uh, I wouldn't say follow is really the word. I think they're running tonight, actually, while we speak. Yes, they are. And, uh, I mean, if you look at the card, I don't know. I, I, I feel like they're trying. You know, obviously, they're they're doing a lot of work with... Gear. They're trying to feature Casanova Valentine now as kind of a featured talent within their company. You know, obviously, I'm sure a lot of GCW fans are kind of upset they'd love to see Casanova and GCW. But to them, I say... It's, it's obviously going to happen at some point. I, I If I was a betting man, I would put money on probably by the end of the year. You'll probably see that happen. But, I, I, you know, obviously, and then, you know, they're doing what they're, they're what they're doing. Hall of Fame shit tonight. Messiah. Yeah. They're putting Messiah in the Hall of Fame. That's cool. Messiah, right? Lufisto, Adam Flash. B-Boy. B-boy. Yeah.
2: Sanji Dot.
3: So all these kind of like 2004 yeah. or 2003 CZW guys are now getting their due. So that's cool. 20th anniversary but, show. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, you know, people forget, you know, people that bitch about CZW, oh, it's not a dead match anymore. Okay, well, the first tournament they did was best of the best. So, you know, I mean, their the, the company the company is just as it's always had. I mean, this is a company that gave us Sanjay Dutt, Adam Cole, Shade, Shade Strickland. Like, I mean, this is a company that's always had really good workers. Absolutely. So, and, and I I do like some of the younger. I think Jordan Oliver's a, Oliver's a fantastic wrestler. I think he's still super rough around the edges like fucking 19 but you know I, I think they have good workers now it's I, I like seeing maria work i think she does i think her all of the shit she does is super entertaining i think she in general is really entertaining and i think she's she's going to be somebody that's going to get a lot more exposure this year in 2019 um
2: yeah, the last three shows too have been really good they brought the violence back you know they had the crazy match of man's and rsp in the cage um you know the show before that you know manson uh RSP, Masada, and Daniel o'hare had a bloodfest. You know, this this show is going to be Tremont and Casanova Valentine. You know, full-way death match for the title, and another death match with Maria and Mitch Valen teaming up. So they are bringing that back, and I
3: appreciate that. I I really have
2: dug their last couple of shows to the point where now I want to watch their new shows.
3: Yeah, and I think that Connor Claxton is still uh, entertaining. I think Brandon Kirk is entertaining. I think they have plenty of talent. I I think it's. In a lot of ways, you know, everyone just shits on DJ, and yeah, sure, it's fun to shit on DJ, but um, I mean, the guy obviously does care about the product. He wouldn't he wouldn't fucking do it if he didn't care. It's not like he makes a ton of money off of it. If anything, he's probably sinking a lot of his him and his family's money into this to to make try to make it work. Yeah, Um, and you know, obviously DJ, you know, doesn't always say the right things, and you know, he's obviously gotten in trouble for, you know, saying some pretty shitty remarks about you know gay people and whatever else recently um and so you know that we're not really here to talk about that that's uh, obviously a detestable thing kind of uniformly and uh you know dj obviously has some shit he needs to fucking deal with internally but that being said you know i think the fans that go to the fucking shows and i think that when they're not running the arena when they're running that skate zone and Voorhees or whatever i think those are the two biggest detriments unfortunately to czw right now if you look at a czw show the crowd is disinterested to say the least they are not raucous they are not vocal the only times they that they are involved you know at the arena different story the arena brings something out into people but otherwise they they don't really seem to care and i don't know if it's some sort of like uh I don't know if it's like some sort of uh, protest or something against DJ or what, but it's not working. All it's doing is making the product less fun to watch. And all you need to do is compare the crowd from a, a CZW show to a GCW show. And of course, it's some of the same people. Just geographically, there's no way it's not. But that being said, Guys, if you're going to CZW shows and you're just sitting there while these dudes are fucking killing themselves to put on a match for you, at least stand up and clap, cheer, make some noise. Uh, you know, when I went to 400 Degrees, it was like a it was a party. You know, we're drinking, you know, doing whatever, a little, little bit of whatever else, you know, having fun, getting up and stretching our legs in between the matches, yelling, getting involved. That the, you cannot you cannot underestimate the role of a crowd in a show and if you guys are going to sit around on the internet and bitch about CZW sucking, and then you're going to go to the shows and not participate. Well, I don't want to say that you're part of the problem because you're not booking the show and you're paying to go. But I mean, there is some, a little bit of reap what you sow in, in indie wrestling. So, um, I think that, you know, obviously the, I, the flyer skate zone that they run in Voorhees New Jersey, which is if you guys don't know where that is, it's literally South Jersey. It's a suburb of Philadelphia, essentially, just across the Ben Franklin Bridge. Um, you know, it's 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 not a it's not a great room, um, and the acoustics aren't great in there. The sounds not great in there, and I don't I don't know if it if they if it can get really loud and raucous in there. So uh, potentially maybe the venue is part of the issue, but I I really think that if the if the fans want the wrestlers to enjoy themselves a little bit more in CZW, which they are actively enjoying themselves in CZW. You forget a lot of these guys grew up watching fucking Nick Mondo and wife Beater and Zandig and all this shit. So they're still tripping out on being in the company. Um, I just wish that I think the fans would just be a little bit more respectful and into it. And, uh, you know, or or they can just sit around and talk shit on the internet. I guess it's their prerogative. But if I was at a CZW show, I would be happy and I would be having fun and I'd be drinking and yelling and being Leon. So I don't know. That's what I think about all that.
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think DJs made some mistakes booking, but we live and we learn. You know, I hope they do well because it's more—it's another place for the boys to work, and it's more death matches.
3: Exactly, and and uh, and who's? I'm not going to sit and pretend that this like little rivalry between them and GCW that may or not may not be actually real. I'm not going to pretend that it's not amusing because it is. So, I mean, having another company that is like a larger quote unquote deathmatch company or a company that does death matches. I mean, it's good. It's 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 like a microcosm of, of the AW WWE, Ring of Honor shit. So,
2: absolutely. So I'm going to touch base real quick. Bob. My friend Dysfunction, Kurt Kurgel Jr., A.K.A. the Weed Man, brother of the Leaf, um, is doing some good stuff up in Wisconsin. Uh, if people haven't checked it out, they should. He's put on some great shows this last year. Warren Veditz really stood tall. Marcus Crane, John Wayne Murdoch, he's been bringing in talent. He's running. He's a super crazy show. He's running. Uh, 224. And this show will be reviewed also. I just wanted to shout out to my co hosts on the Bucky's Road Diaries, aka Bucky's Road Stories, aka Bucky's Got an Owl on His Shoulder. Um, the, we will be uh, doing a special Road Stories with uh, our friend Andy Lawler uh, at Post GCW show. And we'll also be doing a special one ICW. We'll have to invite you, Mr. Leon, to the next Chicago Post Road Story show.
3: Oh, I would oh, love to. Could join hopefully, us. hopefully you get me like right after the show, so I'm still rip roaring drunk. Because uh, yeah, there
2: you go. That'd be entertaining. Bucky, I'm sure will be too.
3: Yeah, uh, being the uh, being the the large Midwestern ogre that he is, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I think
2: was, I I have to joke with him. Uh, he was the loudest person in the last show. I could hear his voice over everybody's. He couldn't not, speak for like three days.
3: <laughs> I don't think he means it. I think that's just when you're eight feet tall. That you know you're. <laughs> Your vocal cords are a little bit larger and deeper. So. Eight feet two. He was
2: excited, you know, and God bless him. That dude travels for more shows. He is such a dedicated fan. I think that's awesome.
3: He's a road warrior, man. Yeah,
2: we created a podcast just because, he, I mean, he goes to all... If there's a weekend he's going to super indie shows nobody here of travels all over man i think that's awesome that he has this love for wrestling and supports you're just sending me shit online now about no new matches coming up and stuff so i definitely want to shout out to my partner on the road stories my friend bucky Hunt, hence the, yes. the, the
3: eight foot ogre as leon says <laughs> shout to shout to bucky he's a nice guy i've uh, had the pleasure of meeting him a couple times also shouts to andy uh, his uh, his wife seems to be doing a lot better now. Also, he's yeah, been following. She's home
2: and uh, she's doing well. Their hands are still a little off, but uh, we're all really happy for Andy and Angie. So that's awesome. Uh,
3: I'd like to point out that Andy has actually never listened to a podcast before. So, um, hopefully he does that before he gets on one. <laughs> so yes. he knows what. So he knows what he's doing.
2: Yes, we did a dry run the other night. We had a phone conversation. So. <laughs>
3: okay. Well, that's the first step.
2: You got him on the phone. So uh, he's excited, though.
3: Hey, man, he can't be more awkward than Jimmy Lloyd.
2: I've interviewed Jimmy. Yeah.
3: I think the worst interview I ever did was a drunk Devin Moore. Oh, I bet it was just. I w- it probably sounded like this, and there was a lot of Philly sort of slag.
2: Yeah, it was. It was a. It's like a, another language at some points. God bless him. It was a. Uh, and then I forget, who the fuck else did I do? I did somebody else. I don't want to shit on people, but I, I know who it is. I'm not going to say the guy's name, though, but it was kind of like I felt like I was interviewing the Ultimate Warrior. I have no <laughs> idea what the fuck he was talking about, or I don't think he did either. He but just, I just said, yeah, and tried to continue and get it over with. It was just, it was just I, load. The load, the load gods up. The of the sky were screaming down as I drove a bus into the sun. Hulk
3: Hogan. Oh, oh, <laughs> Hogan. Load up the, the rocket ships with the jet. Oh, lords.
2: Or the uh, sky are shining down on the warriors. The warriors will come, yeah, dude. If, if best thing in the world, get high and pull up YouTube Ultimate Warrior interviews. You'll be entertained for like a half hour. The Smoke pilots, the, yeah, pilots the pilots that have Smoke already the made the sacrifice
3: for the heart the of the sun. The pilots that have already made the sacrifice. That's my term. Listen
2: to his fucking promos. You know, Smoke Smoker Jay, Smoker
3: don't listen to any of his uh, post Ultimate Warrior. Um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, motivational. Racist, sp- racist and sexist. Yeah. And, don't listen to his yeah. homophobic uh, promos, though. Those yes. are not. Those aren't so good. He, he, he's a. He's a. I'm
2: sure he's a. Rob away from joining Kevin Brennan, but he's no longer with us. But uh, his, his promos, though, man. You know, they say he wasn't on drugs. I hope he was.
3: I don't know how the fuck you
2: do that without drugs. It's it depends- amazing. It,
3: it, Depends what you classify as a drug, I think. <laughs>
2: Shooting Thank steroids you. into his brain through his ears, I think. Yeah. Oh my
3: God. It's
2: just I don't know. He was on a he was, just, on a
3: he was on a little bit of anabolic steroids in the
2: 80s. Yeah, but they didn't tell him not to shoot him into his ears. Everybody yeah. else shot him in their buttocks. He put him into his ears. You can see Gene Okerlund looking at him like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" Sometimes it's great.
3: Well, he couldn't he, hear. He, he he could, just he couldn't looking hear,
2: up like
3: what? He, he couldn't hear because he had his own locker room. So yeah, me and Gene
2: is just like, what the fuck is he talking about?
3: Yeah, Gene, he hated. He wouldn't want. He didn't want to work with him because he couldn't actually interview him. He would just yell.
2: Oh, could, nobody could.
3: <laughs>
2: it, was just, it was an experience.
3: Yeah. Well, uh, what what are some other uh, what are some other interesting um, you know you know U.S. based uh, deathmatch companies? Uh,
2: B- BOW is cool. Um, their camera work. Uh, was really shitty up until the last show. Now they have Smart Mark uh, with them.
3: And they, uh, run out of definitely... they run out of West Virginia?
2: Yes, they run out of West Virginia. Uh, the same uh, gentleman, uh, Bill Monar, a really good guy that owns them. He also owns Blackcraft, which okay. has kind of been uh, doing a lot of business lately. So uh, it's definitely a, a cool promotion to check out in VOW. Uh, they're doing all kinds of uh, popular stuff. Uh, and whatnot. Um, they run the Lord of Anarchy tournament. I'm trying to pull up right now when their next show is. Um, I know they haven't ran a show in a while. They usually do a hiatus in the beginning of the year, but I know Bill's been doing a lot of stuff with Blackcraft recently. Uh, are you familiar with Blackcraft? I am, yeah. yeah. I know they just did a big like joint metal and wrestling show. They drew like 3,000 people to Buffalo, which is pretty cool. Uh, they're also going to be at the Collective. Uh, yeah, so Lord I kinda
3: I, I kinda I like their whole aesthetic how they're trying to sort of like blend like art and music and all that together.
2: I like the fact that they have Doug Bradley as the preacher. I <laughs> am such a big Doug Bradley yeah. fan. Hellraiser, Hellraiser shit, yeah, Nightbreed. Oh yeah. Yeah. Huge I've Doug Bradley Beatles, fan.
3: Man. Yeah,
2: I think he's awesome and he's in there. So they just uh, let's see. They haven't announced too much show wise yet. Uh Words of Anarchy Five September seventh. That's their next upcoming show. Oh. Uh, usually they run shows in the year, so I'm assuming they're gonna add something before then. But they, you know, they always run around Labor Day weekend. Uh, they run at the Fox Pizza Den. It's got like this old gymnasium or some shit. Yeah, I've, seen,
3: I've seen it on the videos before. Yeah, the
2: camera work, last show the camera work was ten times better. So I tell people to give him a chance uh, because it was so much, so much better. Uh, so far they've announced, let's see, Marcus Crane is going to be there. I'm just rolling down here.
0: Uh,
2: the hooligans are going to be in uh, LOA 5. That's cool. Both yeah. hooligans. Slack. Slack. Slack is going to be an LOA 5. So, yeah, they got a few uh, names. It looks like it's going to be a 10-man tournament, which is kind of interesting how they're going to roll that out. But uh, have you watched uh, much uh,
3: BOA? Uh, I've seen... <sighs> I've seen... Um, All right. I, guess, I guess I saw one of the <laughs> ones where the uh, camera work right. wasn't so good. The uh yeah the only VOW shot I, I think I saw was one of the ones with the really bad camera work. I think I saw another one recently, but um I think some of the openers were just people that I didn't know and I for whatever reason wasn't compelled to keep watching. I, I would I'll need to give them another chance. I've yeah, seen some they... I, I've seen some ICW and I've seen some Blood Brothers though.
2: Blood Brothers is a cool promotion. Uh, Sage
3: and her uh, her boyfriend run that.
2: Uh, Really cool people, Kyle and Sage. I've interviewed Sage since, Supreme's daughter, and Kyle. I've interviewed them a bunch of times as friends of the show. Uh, they got a cool show coming up. They got Shane Mercer in a death match, Layton Blackheart, White Tube, and Gusset. Death match. Uh, Matt Tremont, Neil Diamond Cutter, Slack, and BC Killer, uh, Homeless Jimmy's on the card. Uh, Guido, Peter B., Beautiful, Insaniac. Looks like a pretty good card. I've enjoyed their Blood Brothers Crimson Cups. I've enjoyed both of them. I enjoyed the Goddess of Gore show. Um, it's nice to see now UEW's got a little competition, so it's nice to see a couple promotions in California. So it seems Blood like people have really favorable
3: opinions of that company. It seems like everyone really enjoys working for them. Yeah, they're good people. Um,
2: like Kyle told me once, he doesn't care how much money he makes, he does it because he loves it. You know, I was talking to them last year. Uh, a couple nights before the tournament, and they were in the garage making gimmicks for a show, and they were talking to me. So, uh, really cool people. Isn't uh,
3: that is uh, Isn't that where Michael Kruger wrestles?
2: Yeah, yeah, he does wrestle there in UEW. Um, he, I think, uh,
3: I think he's gonna, I think he's gonna do some cool things. I think he's gonna blow up a little bit on the Deathmatch scene in 2019. That guy's, that uh, guy's <laughs> got a lot got a lot of stuff going for him.
2: Yeah, he won the Crimson Cup last year. Um, and, uh, obviously he had that fucking insane match in Mid-South with Slack that everybody remembers. It looks like it was like a car wreck
3: where they, like, murdered each other. I saw him, uh, I saw him here. Uh, you know, Primo's does their, uh, slave to the death. Yeah. yeah. Here. I saw him here. Um, nice guy too. He, uh, took a weed whacker and, uh, told me all about it. i a few weed whackers. Yeah. That was, a. Uh, oh. that was, that was, uh, if I could talk about that for a second. So, one of the stranger wrestling events, not just deathmatch, but wrestling events I've ever been to, is the uh, Primo Slave to the Deathmatch tournament here. <clears throat> In addition to having like a very large uh, clown contingent, which uh, you know we don't hate on stuff here, all respect right. to them, nice people. In addition to having the uh, h- uh, very large clown contingents, also it happens to be a death match that's randomly thrown at a dog park. So uh, it's a dog park that is a bar and they serve food. However, the uh, the sort of green room outside area or whatever is the actual dog park. I, I like how just as I'm talking about a dog park, my dog starts barking. That's, uh, you can't plan this shit, brother. Wrestling's real. But uh, yeah, and you're outside talking to like Schlack and Neil Diamond Cutter and fucking Peter Be Beautiful and they're all covered in blood and You know, someone's Siberian Husky just runs by and they lean over and pet it and, you know, may or may not get some of their blood on the person's dog. So it's a uh, it's a very bizarre setting. That being said, I had so much fucking fun. The finish of the match, I believe, was a Canadian off of the balcony through a table. So, So, yeah, yeah. John Wayne Murdoch. And I believe when I talked to him outside, both him and Reed were like, yeah, we drove 30 hours for this. So, yeah, that's an uh, interesting tournament. Hey, we're, we're podcasting here. Interesting tournament. And, uh, you know, if you like dogs especially, check it out. Definitely. Now, I had a question. Have you gone to more than one of those or just that one? That was the first one I went to. Okay. The promoter.
2: He drives me insane. He's got all these great tournaments. and He doesn't release them on video and he hasn't recorded He tells me he's gonna, then he tells me he isn't, then he tells he's driving me insane. I wanna make him money. If you're listening, Joe, I wanna make you money. I'm not your enemy. People want to buy your product. You've got tournaments with Pagano, Necrobutcher, Madman Pondo, Sage Sin. You've got all kinds of great content. People wanna see it. And uh, I don't know why you don't
3: want to share. Do you know do you have an idea why he doesn't wanna share? I have no idea, but I mean I I definitely echo all that. He books great great talent um they seem to have a favorable experience because they come back um i don't know i I feel like just in general that they don't necessarily grind as hard as they should on like social media and all that other shit um i feel like if they wanted to but again i mean the the show was packed you know there's a ton of people there so um i mean maybe they just want to keep it relatively small but I, I, it does seem kind of stupid if you're filming shows. Yeah, if you're not, filming not... it,
2: you would release it, you would think. And they did last year on the Patreon page, uh, turned on the fiasco. No one was able to watch it till next day, because I did. And then uh, they have some you know, clips from the other tournaments. But he says he has them all recorded, which... I mean, Necro, Pondo, all these guys, Pagano. Yeah,
3: Damian 666, yeah, yeah, I mean, there's tons of, yeah, really famous guys. J.D. or
2: Sage Sin, Homeless Jimmy. I, mean, I can't fathom why you wouldn't want to make some money.
3: I mean, I think, you know, anytime you circulate, maybe it's because he just knows that having Peter be beautiful on it is nobody will buy it. No, I'm kidding, Peter. We love you. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, your guess is as good as mine, man. I have no idea.
2: I have no idea either, <laughs> so... God bless him. Next uh, time I
3: see him, I'll say, what the fuck, man? Yeah, tell him tell him Mike from Deathmatch
2: calls. I'm sure he'll will know, because I always call him out. I, like, fucking paste him on the page and ask him, and he has to
3: respond. That's I mean, the only way he responds to me. What does it cost, like, a dollar to put, put fucking burn a, D, burn a DVD and put it in a plastic case and print out a fucking sleeve for it? There you go, $3. Sell yeah, it for, people- sell it for 15
2: your- Send it to
3: Smart Mark. They'll fucking do it. You'll make a little. You'll still make more than you did. And you won't have to do anything. Yeah, it's the difference of making no money for something you recorded versus making something for you, making money for something you recorded. Makes yeah. no sense. I don't know.
2: And then they had a plan to release it all, too. That's why I'm still dumbfounded. We
3: they can pull. Put... We should pull a Marge Simpson and like write him a letter, like a like an old school letter, not an email, a letter. Dear Joe, <laughs> we we're just wondering. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we'll CC Raven Havoc too, cause he did the two unholy Holy Warfare shows last year. Raven, if you're listening, how come they're not out yet? You said they would be. It's been a year and a half. We want to see them.
3: They looked good. <laughs> uh, I think th- I think they showed them on YouTube or Facebook. Yeah, no, they had them on partial. Facebook Facebook Live. I think they had parts of them.
2: Yeah, they always do. But then these guys say, "Oh, it'll be coming out soon." Uh, what is soon? <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's like,
3: like, like, like when bill collectors call me and they're like hey when can we expect payment I'm like you can expect payment now that doesn't mean I'm going to pay you but you can expect it as soon as you'd like I'm not <laughs> wanting money though I'm wanting to give
2: you money <laughs>
3: that, <only> be- difference. <laughs> that being said let's listen to a track real quick funny band they don't take themselves too seriously uh, in fact the album is that the song is off of is called The Shape of Doom to Come spelled with a U and two M's, but then with, like, the slashes, kind of, like, making fun of that band Sun with, like, the N's and the, you know, the noise band. Anyways, uh, here's Fistula with Goat Brothel, which is uh, sounds about up my speed after this. Here we go. Let's do it. Nice, Fistula. Nice and quick. That song was um, was ninety seconds long. We are back.
2: Little... Reminds me of like the old Impaled Nazarene, like goat orgy song. Yeah, some of the black metal was like they were so like terribly uh, terrible players in the beginning, but they're just like spectacles.
3: Sure, I mean it was, like a lot of those bands, like Carpathian Forest, like Marduk, and all those bands. Yeah, I mean that's they did yeah, Marduk. It, it was a it was Marduk. a spectacle. Well, black fl- black black flag black metal. In and of itself was like anti-music. Like when you actually oh, yeah. ask those guys, like they're trying to make the opposite of music. They hated, oh, they hated thrash. They hated all that fucking music that that Americans.
2: They hated death. They hated all that kind of stuff. You know what's crazy is, is, I hear this over and over. Most of these like black metal dudes, if if you like hang out with them, they're all like huge Bon Jovi fans. <laughs> they broke like my fucking mind. They're all like Def Leppard and Bon Jovi fans.
3: And uh, a lot of them are really into like techno and like house, like because uh, you know European. You I, know,
2: I, if I had to listen to Bon Jovi all day, I would probably burn churches too. That <laughs> might be the reason why it happened. Maybe that's why Uranus got killed by Uranus. Uranus got killed by Vag Count Brism.
3: Yeah. <laughs> and uh, don't don't ever go to that Varg guy's uh, uh, his YouTube page unless you're Kevin Brennan. Then you might enjoy it. But um, yeah. Let's uh let's not plug Varg in any capacity. No. Are you, do you do you have any interest to see that fucking Macaulay Culkin's brothers movie, Lords of yes, Chaos? I, yes, I do for comedy. Yeah, I think yeah. I I wonder if like they tried to like feign Norwegian accents like, and then halfway through they're just like, oh god, this isn't gonna work. But I've just... said for years though, I mean,
2: mayhem is such a fucked up story. It should have been a movie or a TV series. Yeah, because all the ridiculous shit that happened throughout there even. More with farce, you know, she stabbed a gay guy and killed, and these sentences are like nothing in no way, they do like seven years for murder
3: that's Sweden, man the only guy that got, the only guy that got life or death penalty was that terrorist guy at the camp, they shot like 119 kids, yeah yeah, 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 I guess like one or two though, is like, eh, 10 years they even get weekends
2: off, they can go on weekend excursions and go home
3: Mark Vickerness broke out of prison and was sent back, and they still let him out, yeah yeah, they'll get weekend furloughs. They can take holiday. <laughs> Fucking prison. Yeah. Well, that being said, uh, speaking of cops and prison, why don't we get into uh, a, a newer track for Pig Destroyer? Let's oh, do Yeah. Well, here's Army of Cops by Pig Destroyer. Destroyer. Destroyer of pigs.
2: Armies of cops.
3: Cops of army. Armies of cops. Armies of pig cop people. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, we all we all know that cops are pigs. Most of them are. There's still a few good ones. Um I, I guess.
2: I have a few that are on the show, on the page, so there are some cool ones out there.
3: I thought you were gonna say you got a few odd payroll. I was gonna say nice. Maybe in the old days, but no, uh-huh. Uh-huh of the old days, uh, there's a really cool band from over here in Denver um, that kind of eschews some of that old classic heavy metal and uh, sort of combines it with some newer flavors, a little bit of doom, uh, a little bit of stoner stuff. And uh, the other cool thing about Chemists we were talking about her about to play a track from, is that their uh, drummer is actually the master brewer at a really popular, I guess, nationally known brewery at this point called True Brewery here in Denver. It's spelled Troop, spelled with a V, even though it's still true. I don't know. It's some cool guy spelling. This track is called Three Gates and it is by Chemist. This two it's off their 2016 album Haunted. And uh this album actually won Decibel Magazine's album of the year. So definitely check this out. And then the, the follow-up after that as well. It's really good. Um I recently was at Two Nights. They played Two Nights here in larimer Lounge in Denver, Colorado. Huge chemist fan. Can't say enough cool things about this band.
2: I really dig them, too. Uh, You you mentioned me before, and I listened to the track and did some research, and I definitely uh, echo what you're saying. Really cool band. You know, check them out. For sure. Here's Chemist with Three Gates. That was Chemists, uh, you know, a band that uh, we were just talking about. If you have not checked them out, please do. You know, definitely a new cool band. Uh, you know, it's cool to discover new bands and whatnot in metal. So, so what do we got going on? What's going on in cannabis? <laughs>
3: Uh, just a couple of little things. So as I said at the beginning of the show, I work uh, in cannabis, legal cannabis here in Denver, Colorado. I previously managed a couple of dispensaries. Um, I've also worked in grows and now I currently work on the tech side of things. I work for a company that does point of sale software, cultivation software, processing software, seed to sale tracking software. And, uh, yeah, well, one of the more interesting headlines I've ever seen in cannabis recently was uh, over here in Denver, Colorado. Girl Scouts were recently given the thumbs up to sell Girl Scout cookies in front of dispensaries. Uh, It's brilliant. um, Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely
2: brilliant. some fucking girls. That's ingenious. Good luck to the Girl Scouts.
3: Yeah, it's it's kind of the coolest thing ever. Um, and I actually today when I was walking my dog before uh, we sat down to record, I actually saw Girl Scouts in front of the nearby dispensary. So I've <laughs> I've seen it in action, and I definitely saw. Well, I before I saw them, I saw dudes walking past me with handfuls, but like holding boxes of Girl Scout cookies,
4: <laughs> <laughs> and I was I like, Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah, I was like, I'm getting close. I feel I feel them. And then, yeah, sure enough, I came up on the uh, dispenser and they were right on front. So, um, you know, obviously they were prohibited at first because we have a lot of uh, like legislature in Colorado. Like, for example, you can't have a dispensary within X amount of miles of the school zone. Whatever. I get it. I don't necessarily think that like weed companies market really to young kids. But uh, apparently in California, some people have told me that they have. Look, I get it. That's why you know, 18, 21, then they can do whatever they want. Um, I just, I do think that it's harmless, and I think that you know, you gotta remember, Girl Scouts are competing to try to see who can sell the most Girl Scouts. So, uh, it's Girl Scout cookies. Uh, not Girl Scouts. They're not Kevin human Brennan
2: tra- just looking to sell Girl Scouts.
3: Yeah, no, they're not sex trafficking. They're not
2: they our are Ke- from Tennessee right now. Fucking tires are blazing.
3: Yeah, hold cool. Cool your Jets, Kevin? Um, I don't think Kevin would like uh, here in, in uh, Denver. It's probably a little too liberal for him. I think
2: uh, Boy Scouts more, too. I don't know. <laughs> I think he's in a...
3: I mean, he did have
2: the one wrestling show where one wrestler ate whipped cream out of another wrestler's ass, and then a few weeks later, he went on to uh, argue about New Jersey because they're teaching LGBT uh, in schools now. They're teaching the history of LGBT. And Kevin went on to say, Oh fuck New Jersey, I wouldn't ever go there. But a week ago I ran a show where a guy ate whipped cream on another guy's asshole.
3: Was it uh was it John Rare or <laughs> uh...
2: John didn't get the big finish. I don't even know who it was. It was two goose. I I didn't see it, obviously. I've heard, heard about it from numerous people.
3: You but, think that th- uh, do you think they were at, like, Spider Boudreau? I was like, God damn it, man. That was supposed to be our finish, man. Yeah,
2: no, Spider and John are both upset because two other guys got their... I was supposed to be fucking whipped cream from your asshole. But, uh, you know, then he's running down the LGBT... Uh, I'm pretty sure the LGBT doesn't give two fucks what you think, Kevin. So don't worry about it.
3: Like, hey, some guy that runs a fucking death ma- white trash deathmatch <laughs> tournament in Alabama <laughs> or Tennessee... There, there was no holocaust. The world is flat. Some guy whose biggest claim to fame is a documentary in which he explains very poorly how uh, they make weapons. Uh, that uh, yes. My favorite is that they use that like razor wire that like nobody in their right mind should work. <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> at the last
2: Carnage Cup, the fans are setting it up. I'm just thinking, here's a perfect situation where a fan who's drunk gets killed setting up razor wire
3: in the ring. <laughs> well... I don't think that, uh, I don't, know if, I don't know if Alabama or Tennessee or any of the states that Kevin Brennan runs in or ran in are uh, going to be cannabis friendly anytime soon. So, um, the other, the other,
2: no, they will be meth and incest friendly, but definitely not cannabis.
3: Yeah. And maybe if this was a 420 meth broadcast, we could continue right. with Kevin. this was, uh, Hey, I suggest you fuck your sister before your cousin broadcast. Yeah. Holocaust denier podcast, which I'm sure they have plenty of, um, so I guess the only other super noticeable thing in cannabis, uh, that I read the other day is that, you know, uh, Massachusetts went wreck at the beginning of, uh, actually just, just, I think it was either November or December. And, uh, as of January, they've logged over $28 million in sales, which is crazy. Um, some of these companies even did like almost a million dollars or million had million dollar days, uh, on like the first, first couple of weeks of wreck. So, um, a lot of people sort of pro sort of, I guess, hypothesized proth- hypothesize that maybe, um, you know, the these sales numbers, uh, are so uh, unignorable that, uh, you know, Republicans Whitaker and Trump will eventually, uh, see it as a, uh, you know, a potential way to maybe garner some votes from some of those, uh, dope smoking hippies out there. Um, obviously I would, wouldn't vote for him regardless. And, you know, we don't need to make this a political show. Uh, But I, you know, I can definitely see the thought process behind that. And again, you know, businessmen, Republicans, they, they understand money. Um, So, you know, if nothing else, you know, these really crazy sales numbers um, are encouraging. I believe right now there's less than 20 States that don't have any form of cannabis, whether it be medical uh, I know Florida, where I'm from originally, uh, Ron DeSantis, their new governor, is in the process of allowing smokable cannabis. I think they previously had, like, topicals and tinctures and yeah. edibles. And um,
2: New York is pushing very hard to have it legalized before summer.
3: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, we're, we're in the midst of <clears throat> a domino effect. And, you know, like I've, I've said before, um, I guess the one other thing I'll mention in the realm of cannabis was the other day at work, we received an email, um, that from bio track, which was the bio tracks in a lot of different States. Uh, in some States they do regulatory stuff. Uh, in other States they just run like point of sale software, kind of like our, my company leaf logic does. Um, and, uh, they sent us an email basically letting us know that in the state of Illinois, uh, all opiate patients, uh, immediately have access to uh, medical cannabis and uh you know it's it's moments like that when I get those emails that really just sort of makes it all kind of feel worthwhile and uh you know I tell people this all the time especially if they've been working in the industry for a while like I have you know we're, we're part of a movement that's going to change the world and um you know we kind of just need to keep working right now while we can uh because once you know once the majority of states have it there's no stopping us and you know we also have Canada now that's just legalize it across the board so it'll be interesting that it'll be interesting to see how certain like agriculture giants um you know like monsanto bear um you know what they do with the industry in regards to like genetic patenting and stuff like that but um that we'll we'll be monitoring that for the next year or two in canada so exciting stuff uh just overall if you're a uh, if you're if you work in the industry or if you're just a cannabis enthusiast or if you don't even smoke cannabis you just believe in its if, if, in the merits of it and, you know, freedom and, and whatever else, uh, you know, you got to remember this drug was never made illegal for any worthwhile reasons. So, um, and it's not a drug. <laughs> you, you don't believe in the Reefer Madness movie? <laughs> no, I that
2: don't. a 1936 it's, classic.
3: It's, uh, it's an amusing movie, though. You uh, know, and
2: and what you're saying, uh, you know, I, I was recently in the hospital for a couple of weeks, and then I got out and had to go right back again, and you know, I went to some brain surgeries and some crazy stuff and did me on morphine and when I got out they put me right on oxy and uh, you know I uh, I've been clean for 20 some years so I immediately you know I more or less threw my oxy out and switched over to marijuana when I got home because I, I think it helps me and it's less addictive and uh, I haven't been a big weed smoker in years but that's my easier choice and I had a, you know I acquired some and uh, you know I smoke as opposed to and I I take a couple Advil and then smoke a couple joints uh, As opposed to the Oxy Because I've had the Oxy addiction before And that's not something I want to go through again
3: Yeah, fuck that shit, man I, I, I've also had uh, some, some bad times with opiates in the past And, uh, you know, obviously Like for a lot of people that have had opiate addictions You know, they they got into it Either through surgery Or, you know, some people had their wisdom teeth removed They actually traced the uh, Oxy epidemic in America To a dentist or an oral surgeon In South Florida in um what the fuck was the name of the town in, in south florida forget the name but uh near like boca or like fort lauderdale but it was some guy that was uh essentially prescribing oxycontin to kids who got their wisdom teeth removed you know so it's like they're they're the pharma- pharmaceutical industry you know obviously is not without certain merits i mean there are certain Instances in which you do need uh, medicine in order to, to to fix things, and you know, I'm not going to be one of those guys that blank and says, "Oh man, you can just fix everything with weed." But um, you know, when it comes to like analgesics and you know, killing pain and whatever else, it's it's pretty obvious that um, most of the analgesic sort of qualities associated with like opiates, they're not actually analgesic. You're just you're high, and so people assume that that is actually what's helping them with their pain. So. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a gradual process and I obviously do, you know, for people that are terminally ill and for people that are in instances where it's just extreme severe pain nonstop, I, I, I'm, am i am okay with your right to take the medicine that's prescribed for you. And I don't think that we should take that away necessarily and, and give them cannabis, you know, but, um, I do think that it needs to be an option. I do think that it needs to be continually prescribed, and for stuff like you know epilepsy and and instances with you know it helping young kids have normal lives and whatever else, you know, it's doing great things. So it's great to be part of the this movement, and I will uh, continue to do it. Children of actually has an album coming out in 2019. I looked real quick. Uh, there's a bunch of bunch of bands have albums coming out in 2019. A lot of older bands. Um, uh, it looks like. Uh, Dark Throne is planning on putting out an album in 2019, which is uh, interesting. Also, Death Angel, who we mentioned today. Um, Let's see. Uh, Exodus plans on putting out an album. Fury Factory. Uh, What else we got here? Deftones look like they're putting out an album in 2019. Uh, King King Diamond, uh, In Flames, Uh, Killswitch Engage, Corn, Lamb of God. Uh, Limp Biscuit, probably never mention yeah. them. We'll probably never mention them again on the show. Uh, Megadeth.
2: Riding Christ.
3: Ministry. ministry nice. Misery Index is a pretty cool band. Uh, Mushroom, <laughs> Mushroom Head, which I probably...
2: Demon Hunter. Malevolent Creation. Uh, Mark Morton from fucking uh, Lamb of God. Solo albums coming out.
3: Of mice and men to the uh, metalcore people out there, overkill to the thrash guys that plays with the uh, what we we're talking about. Periphery to the uh, technical
2: Queensryche.
3: prog guys out there. Really, Queensryche? Why do they still put out stuff without Jeff Tate? I don't understand. <laughs> I don't know. But like would they, Jeff Tate is Queens, uh, Queensryche. Ramstein spun on a record. Septic Flesh. Megadeth. Say anything to Steel Panther if you're a I've, I've been told that their live show is actually really good.
2: I've heard that too. Devin Townsend has got a new project coming out under, nice. under his name Devin Townsend. For anybody who has not listened to Devin, he's got some very crazy, awesome, different stuff through Devin Townsend's Strapping Young Lad, Ocean Machine, his many different projects he's done. Uh, White Chapel have a new album coming out too for your death metal fans.
3: I would I would classify Whitechapel's Deathcore. Deathcore,
2: excuse me. Deathcore. Deathcore.
3: Yeah. Eh, Tool for all the Tool fans.
2: Hammerfall for all the triumphant.
3: Yeah, for all the people that like to chant along with their music.
2: For every, yeah, for the, I'm pretty sure that every song they have the word Hammerfall is in it.
3: For all uh, the like Slovenian guys that like to chant along with their power metal, Hammerfall's got good. you got Someone you covered. Has
2: to take over for Manowar. Someone has to pick up the mantle (laughs) from Man of So at your festivals with all your drunken women on stage and your power by metal, by the sword of metal. Metal in the sky and metal in the sky. Jesus. (laughs) Metal, everything's like Hammerfall. We all Hammerfall. This is Hammerfall. (laughs) Run to the mountain, Hammerfall. I took a shit yesterday,
3: Hammerfall. Hammerfall. Let's try to. It's music that you that could only be appreciated by a Viking.
2: I don't think a Viking would. I think he would rape the band, and he would be head numbed. fall. Sammerfall. I think
4: yeah. He,
2: he would bludgeon you. Well, most likely. You. Soilwork, have a new album coming out too.
3: Yeah, looks like 2019 is going to be a big one for uh, for a lot of bands. Yeah. So. So let's get into this children Bodum track uh, and then we'll come back We'll wrap and we'll end on a track Requested by uh, Deathmatch cult member Drew King by Electric Wizard and uh, thanks For listening this week guys I had fun Did you have fun Mike? Absolutely
2: Absolutely had I had so, lots of fun
3: He had so much fun he was like away from The mic for a second when he said that
2: mm-hmm. I, I, I was I was sitting back for a moment I was repositioning between my neck Brace and my arm brace because I'm like the bionic Man So <laughs>
3: everything is in a brace. <laughs> yeah. Do you have the screw? Do you have it like screwed in? Like, a- no, no, I don't have
2: the Gary Wolf halo from ECW.
3: <laughs> no,
2: no, I don't have that. I have a, a hard neck brace that Velcro's and locks on. It's very uncomfortable to sleep, walk and piss and do anything that would be remotely human. All
3: well, right on guys. Thank you for listening. Here's children of Bonham, And, uh, on the end of that one, we'll come back with, uh, some electric wizard Thanks for tuning in, guys. Here's to a bunch more awesome 420 metal wrestling podcasts, and you know we got some fun things on the horizon. We got some interviews. We have Schlack on here pretty soon, and uh, yeah, let us know what you guys want to hear. Send us requests. Uh, we'll be posting, you know, when we have the top fives, and uh, we'd love to get your feedback on anything. And uh, you know, let us know how we can make the show better. Absolutely. We'll
2: be putting a, probably a Monday or Tuesday we'll put up a top couple top five lists on the cult page. So you can put them there. You can PM me and we'll we'll do some shout outs to people and uh, you know get them involved uh, next week in, uh, in the process.
3: So hell yeah guys. Thanks for listening and remember fuck school, kill your parents, smoke weed, worship the devil, and uh, listen to fucking heavy metal music and watch wrestling.
2: And if you have time Shit on Kevin Brennan.
3: Shit on Kevin Brennan and then head over to the Deathmatch cult page and give it a like. Smoke weed. Smoke fucking weed. Thanks, guys.